Hi, I'm Sam Meggs, author of Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars, and you're listening to The Living Force. How's it going, everybody? It is Monday yet again. I had a Monday, 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 uh, but we're all here to chat with each other. We're talking Jedi Battle Scars tonight. That's right. It's a roundtable episode. It's Corey's first time leading a roundtable, so buckle up. Uh, but before we do all that, of course, make sure you, you, you get your drink in hand, you're in your comfiest chair, throw a blanket over your legs if it's cold, and, uh, Wes, if you would be so kind, um, <clears throat> God, punch it. Clearing your throat during sorry. my speech! I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I pushed the mute button on my laptop and it didn't it can do anything. <laughs> that was a good one. You, you sound like William Bottom Tooth the second, bro. I'm Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Get off my sofa! Get, get off my sofa! Get out of there! Get out! That is BD1. A Utini Podcast Network production. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get oil stains out of Batoli weed fabric? Episode 208, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars Roundtable. Hey, that was pretty brave. On this episode, it's the finals of Utini Book Madness. Never known a forgetful droid. Plus there are not one, but two new Star Wars novels. You passed the test. And the Utini crew talks about Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars by Sam Maggs. And may the Force be with you. And now, here are your hosts. You want to meet some uh, friends of mine? Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! <laughs> Hello, everyone! Welcome oh. to the Living Force, a Utini Network podcast tonight. All about Jedi Battle Scars. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight to chat all about the latest offering from Penguin Random House Worlds, did it in one, is the full crew, starting off with the guy who's going for a record of two weeks in a row. It's Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, man. Hello, everyone. Apologies for really disgustingly just clearing my throat just then. I'm on a uh, I'm on a, a different computer in this hotel room, and uh, there's a mute button on my laptop. There's there's a, a lower volume button, a raise volume button, and a mute button. I'm like, wow, that's really convenient right there. I'm going to use that right now while Eric is doing the intro, and it didn't do anything. So that's cool. I'm glad. That's why we test. Yeah, uh, that's why we test. But you're here, here, man. I'm glad I'm here. This was a very strange. Um, series of events <laughs> that led me here my agency that set up this job for me at this hospital uh messed up and promised me or promised the hospital i was working today and i'm not supposed to be working today and uh i was like shit how am i gonna make it to the living force so i gave them the condition that i will work here again today if they will get me a hotel room for two nights rather than one night so i got them to book it an extra night just for this show, even though I'm not staying here, <laughs> I needed to stay here longer than the, the checkout. So I got him to pay for another night, and now I'm going to leave after this <laughs> and drive home in the dark. Hopefully nobody that works at the agency uh, watches the show, because I'm probably not <coughs> allowed to do that. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, sacrifices have to be made, uh, and you're chief among them, of course. We thank you for your dedication uh, to the show, to the audience, um, and... Your dedication to Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, man. What's going on, guys? I think probably everyone that's listening is thinking the same thing as me. What what sounds does Corey make during the show that we 
don't usually hear. Because um, yeah, that how one often does he use that mute. Yeah, that oh, one was dude. up there. I clear my throat so much during the show; it's really problematic. And the listeners are probably going to start hearing it now because we've talked about it, and they're going to be like, "We want Corey off the show." <laughs> <laughs> they're not, not going to be able to it's stand to listen to it after this. Also, if Matt bad. edits it all out for the other listeners, no one's going to know what we're talking about right now. So go back to the video and see Corey just just <laughs> clear his throat. <laughs> but you know who would never clear his throat because he's a professional. In every part of his life, in his professional life, even in his private life, he's professional. Not a hair out of place, not a word out of step. It's Wes Jenkins. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Uh, yes, I cleared my throat earlier, but I understand sometimes you have some phlegm in your system, and it's got to come out. Yet, the tech will let you down. Um, almost always. That's so right. I feel you there, Corey. I've, I apologize. I, I should have done that for you. I know. I'm the producer. <laughs> and I should have known that you were trying you to clear your throat. Came into my hotel room and test my <laughs> laptop buttons. Why aren't you here, Wes? <laughs> well, everyone at home. I can't be here everywhere at once. <laughs> not yet. We're working on it. Uh, everyone at home, I'm assuming just because of psychology, you've already cleared your throat a couple of times. Cause that's uh, how it works. I need to so bad. <laughs> also, don't think of an elephant. Uh, but if you're listening to the show, hello, welcome. I hope you're having a great week. You had a great week. Uh, if you're watching us watching us on YouTube live or not, make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel. Um, because if nothing else, tomorrow we got a video review coming out of the latest Star Wars book, which I'll talk about in a second. And an audio, if you haven't reviewed us yet on your podcatcher of choice, make sure you do so. Because uh, you might be listening to us on Star Wars Celebration Weekend. Because y'all, that's this weekend. Oh my. Oh, that's weird to think about. What? Yeah, that's, that's just coming this weekend, weekend? y'all. <laughs> this <laughs> weekend is Star Wars Holy celebration. What? Shit, I definitely did not realize that. This weekend. Oh my god. Um, but How are you most guys feeling about it. You got any oh. FOMO about it, real fast? Oh yeah, about? no, it hit yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday it hit because everyone I know is on a plane right now. That's going. Oh my god. And I'm like, mm. I'm remembering how amazing last celebration was charles you weren't there you don't know exactly uh, but like it was just uh, i'm fine this is just the usual <laughs> yeah no it's really hit me hard uh the last two days i i really i'm really really sad i'm not gonna be there yeah yeah i don't think my tickets actually sold so <laughs> <laughs> oh for real i i don't know i mean you still got a couple days you'll find they out told PayPal me- on the 11th will either show up or it won't yeah, they told me I had to cut up the tickets and return them and send a photo, but I never got any tickets, so I couldn't do that. So we'll see. We're gonna find out. Oh, hey, you know what we should do before we get into the show? Because this will already be out uh, next weekend. We'll know by next show. Yes or no? Are we getting a Star Wars movie with a title announced on the celebration stage? Dude, I freaking hope not. <laughs> I'm saying yes. I'm saying dead. yes. Dead. I'm not saying yes. It's dead. It's dead. Oh no no yeah. no. It, it, Guys, I'm not saying whether it's going to be made or not. Let's not be crazy. Will okay. it be announced? Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm saying yes. I don't know. I, I hate to be that guy, I but I am either. genuinely tired of announcing films that get canceled. <laughs> so I don't even want them to announce it until we get a damn trailer. Like, that's not even enough. They, we got Patty Jenkins. No, we, didn't, no, we already no, got, we got, got a, a teaser. It doesn't matter if we get a teaser. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Have they ever announced a movie or a film at Celebration and it be canceled? <laughs> yeah, Rogue Squadron. Didn't they? I don't think so. I don't think that was announced. It was no, a, it wasn't there was something. There was something that I forget what exactly. Um, anyway, we'll find out. I'm excited. No All yeah. the panels start at 6 a.m. our time, so that'll be really Ooh. fun to get up. Oh, yeah. and Thursday? <laughs> uh, Friday. 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 Yep. When it starts. All right. Gotcha. I'm off on Friday. I can do that. 
Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but most importantly, of course, what's going to happen before that is the Utini Bracket Madness, uh, which is mm. in the final as we're recording tonight. Uh, I do want to take a second here in all full-on transparency and legitimacy and say thank you to Amir on our team. Amir has been such a force throughout this. If you have tweeted about the Bracket Madness and have gotten a response, that's Amir. If you look at the graphics, that's Amir. If you are mad about anything about the Bracket Challenge, that's because of Amir. Um, <laughs> so, legitimately, though, this was this is easily the most like socially engaging thing we've ever done. We got Pablo Hidalgo, Charles Soule, Kevin Scott, Kristen Baver. Like, people are tweeting about this. It's in Slack channels of Star Wars actual people. Um, and it all comes down to tonight. Uh, to the final, the final final. Uh, Wes, throw up that graphic of who's in the finals of Bracket Madness. I was shocked. Uh, in a me great too. way for me personally. Uh, Light of the Jedi vs. Rising Storm. This is the championship. Yeah. I just Book I one. can't believe this. Two High Republic books. Book, it's yeah. insane, dude. <laughs> today we I found out. Uh, I think it was this. I don't know if it ran today, but the uh, Rising Storm beat out um, Revenge of the Sith. Range of the Sith novelization. Yep, that today. was today. That was today. And yeah. uh, man, that shook me. And I was like, "Holy smokes, we're gonna get Higher yeah. Republic versus Higher Republic novel." Who's it gonna be? Who do you guys think it is? I think it's gonna be Light of the Jedi, man. I think I, it has to I be. Also Can I give you a live update right now? I'm looking on Twitter. Yes. So uh-huh. as, a, as a reminder, close. we voted on Twitter, Discord, YouTube, and Instagram. So like, obviously, the numbers change as we speak. It is fifty point four percent to forty nine point six percent. Oh my god. <laughs> With 550 votes cast. Jeez. Wow. Oh it's boy. like, this is the tightest, this is going to be the tightest race you've ever had. And it's the final. This is what you want, though, in March Madness. Yeah, you know? for like, sure. It's very Titans. interesting and, and, and fun. You want it to be, you want it to be fun and actually a real yeah. competition and not just, oh, yeah, that's the best book. Like, yep. obviously. Um, no landslides that's here. That's what, that's what Pablo tweeted today. It was just like surprising to see two High Republic books against each other or something like that, which is awesome. Yep. Um, I do think it's a bit of a testament to the number of people who jumped on board to High Republic, but haven't read a lot of yeah. the older books. Like, I could definitely see, mm-hmm. well, I do see, we see this all the time, and we have been seeing it for years, that new readers often skip novelizations because they don't know that how good yep. they are. Yep. So, you know, I'm very pleased to see how much the High Republic has just performed. <laughs> it's been fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and shout out to Amir also, who's been putting a lot of graphics up. Every time a book has gotten eliminated from the bracket, we've put up images uh, with plot synopses and why you should read them. So definitely go back to our Twitter feed and check out all the books that that made it pretty far. Um, and yeah. find your next read. Like, if you haven't read Revenge of the Sith, that was in the final four as a novelization. So check it out. Check out a bunch of books that didn't make it. And, I mean, I, I think we can already, like, pseudo-announce this is coming back next year. In, in I don't know what form it's going to be. Of course, we have a year to plan. But thank you, truly thank you to everyone who has made this so successful. This wouldn't get in the eyes of the people who make Star yeah. Wars if it weren't for all of you uh, being so excited. So Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. You said so many eyes on this that, you know, it's, uh, it's really put – we put us in the limelight a little bit, right? Yeah. We, like, we felt kind of starstruck with these people that are yeah. that are uh, retweeting us and responding to us. Yeah. It's great, and if if anything, like if nobody's if everybody's um, <clears throat> new to reading High Republic and they see that this is the final matchup, like maybe I should pick yeah. up one of those High Republic. Light books, of the Jedi, know? great starter I, book. 
I know it's not that big of a deal to get like retweeted by you know somebody who we really look up to and stuff, but it it is it is it is really validating in a lot of ways, and it's it's fun to interact with folks who are you know sort of celebrity status. And I don't know it's that never we've ever not cool. I know, yeah, exactly. I don't know that we've ever gotten a, a retweet from Pablo Hidalgo before. Nope. I don't think we ever have. So nope. this was pretty cool to see this pop up today, and uh, it's fun. This has been a really fun project to see. Um, we talked about a couple uh, months ago that we're getting up, to, getting ready to re, uh, to launch the Utini Academy, which is like a, a co- like a course, like academy to learn all about Star Wars books. If you're new to books and you just want to like dive in and have experts kind of teach you what to read and how it works and all this kind of stuff, we're launching a course. We delayed the launch of the course for a full month because we were running this March Madness thing because it's been so fun and so successful. We're like, let's just put off the course. Let's put off the academy for a while. And <laughs> yep, uh, cause it was this big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's been fun. It's been a really fun project, one of the most surprising I think we've ever done that got as big as it did. I mean, yep. I think our Twitter grew like 20% or something insane from this. So it's been fun for sure. Yeah. yeah. And if you've been enjoying it, again, throw on the follow on all the platforms. Like tell everyone else, hey, this was really fun. Did you follow the Instagram <clears throat> and the Twitter and all that? The Twitter. Oh, my God. I sound ancient. Follow wow. the Twitter. Um the While it's there, or the Doge as it is today, for whatever stupid reason. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you to everybody, and stay tuned. We'll know tomorrow who wins Book Madness. And I think we might try to, because Kevin, Scott, and Charles Soule are both going to be at Celebration. So if you see them, go congratulate them. Uh, tell them, hey, you guys were in the finals of Book Madness. That'd be rad. That'd be pretty rad. <laughs> um, yeah, never mind. That's an official instruction. Please go to them and tell them that you love them in Book Madness. Now, I want to say a thank you again to our Patreon community who makes everything we do possible, including the book Madness. Uh, if you're not part of our Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash utini, where you're going to get a bunch of Star Wars archives coming up, because as we promised in the lead-up to Star Wars Celebration, we're releasing a new episode to the public every day this week to transition to the new release schedule. If you remember, archives used to be on a three-month <laughs> buffer. That will now not happen. It's going to be one month every episode that comes out. So make sure you're downloading all those. Go check out the Patreon event that uh, Corey and Emma did uh, recently as a little holiday special celebration. And, of course, make sure you go to the Utini Cosplay channel on Discord and tag your tweets, Utini Cosplay, to show us how much you love all your cosplay creations. All right, no news this week, which is fine because <coughs> next week we'll, we'll probably have a lot. Uh, spoilers, the whole show <laughs> next week is news. Um, but we want to remind you all... <laughs> That tomorrow, April 4th, we have two Star Wars releases. First off, we have Star Wars The High Republic Cataclysm by Lydia Kang. Uh, We'll be releasing our written interview on the site, a written review on the site, and a video review on the site, as well as an interview I did with Lydia Kang last week. Uh, Not a spoiler, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And as a little tease, uh, Lydia Kang's also a practicing physician. So... That's rad. Uh, yeah, she was very excited to hear that. We have two on this show as well. So definitely go check that out. Um, she's wonderful. Check out her book. And The High Republic Quest for Planet X, the middle grade novel by Tessa Gratton, comes out tomorrow as well. If you're getting both, read that before Cataclysm. Not that it's a huge deal, but read that beforehand just in case. <clears throat> All right. Before we get into Corey's first ever roundtable, fellas, we had three... Three episodes of Star Wars Television technically come out last week, uh, and I just want to get your briefest of thoughts, just to kind of let the kids know that we're hip, that we're, you know, we're keeping up on things. Uh, Starting off, The Bad Batch Season 2 is over. That's right, everybody. You only have to watch one episode of TV before work every Wednesday now. Um, 
we were very we were very high uh, last week on where the Bad Batch was going by the end of the season. We liked the upward trajectory. Uh, basic question, fellas. We'll keep it short. Did the finale land for you? you uh, I've been working 12-hour shifts every day since then and have not watched it, so oh, there is that. Man. Wow. <laughs> All right. Chris or Mandalorian. I haven't watched Mandalorian either. Okay, I know. Well, I'm as Eric would say, stay off of the Twitter. I know. I know. I will. I will. Uh, That's right. West Charles. Yes. Yes, Wes. Yes, it, it landed for me. I've heard, um, it, I've heard it lands hard. Excitement, tragedy, <laughs> uh, cliffhanging, all that stuff. I loved it. Yeah, I agree. Definitely landed really well. They know how to stick a landing, even if the the route to get there sometimes feels a little circuitous. Uh, they knew what they were doing here, and I want uh, Corey's live reaction. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Bad Batch, <clears throat> Bad Batch Season 2 finale. Easy landed for me. I think it's the best of the season. And I, 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 again, I think you probably could have cut half the season out for me personally. But <laughs> when you land at your so, peak, I want season three. You know, that's the listen, point. The so. only thing, as they say in Formula One, the only thing that matters is how you performed in your last race. That's the only thing that matters. So that's so true. It's true, man. It's so true. It, doesn't, it, is. it doesn't matter. As long as they land a finale of a show, you're only yeah. going to remember the positives. Like, let's be yeah. honest. The entirety of Season 7 of Clone Wars was not 10 out of 10. But we all remember Season 7 of Clone Wars as being the freaking best season that's ever been made of the Clone Wars because of the last point. three episode arch. So, you oh, know. That's perfect. It doesn't matter. It doesn't God, matter. that was good. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, Caitlin did make me promise to watch it with her. So, yeah. We should have just done, like, phone watching or something. I don't know. Like, nah, you got time. <laughs> you... Again, it's over now, so you're fine. That's right. Um, right. And then episode five of The Mandalorian uh, season three came out. Uh, I will say very shortly, first episode I actually loved. I'm in. Heard that. Took them half the season to get there for me. But, like, yo, (laughs) it sounded like characters saying dialogue and the direction was a good (laughs) show again. And I was like, yeah. Um, Who who wrote the episode? Who's the director and the writer? uh, The director is Peter Ramsey, who actually uh, was one of the directors on Into the Spider-Verse. Hilariously, oh. so like, oh. you know, good resume uh, yeah. there, and yeah, <laughs> the movie's fantastic. <laughs> so good, I love it. I can't wait yeah. for the next one. Yeah, loved it. Finally, loved an episode yeah. of Mandalorian. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert: Tim Meadows is in it. Uh, yeah, that was the only part nice. I didn't like, but I'm glad for you, Wes. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> took me out. Took me out. But but he he did fine because he's such a well-known comedic actor. He's the ladies' I mean. Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, Charles, what you think? <laughs> loved it. Yeah, great show. Um, yeah, no, I loved it. I, you guys know, I was already pretty high on this season. The mm-hmm. episode prior to this one, though, was the one I enjoyed the least. This one put me right back where I wanted to be. I had a great time. New favorite little character is the Ugnaught with the red bandana. Love that oh, guy. Oh, Shmi. <laughs> is his name <laughs> Shmi? Blue Man Shoe. Shmi. It better not be Shmi. Sorry, that's a different Star Wars character. You're right, you're right, be, my that's bad. That's unacceptable. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, it was a great weekend, great week of Star Wars TV. I hope, it seems like they're going to keep going that way now. Uh, there's only three episodes of Mando left in the season, which is weird, but hey, you know what? We're, we got there. We're in a good spot. All right, we've gotten all the good vibes in. Um, as Corey said, he was very busy, but he put in the work to put together his first ever roundtable, so... After tonight, we'll all have done one. So, Corey, without further ado, 
Take it away, man. Let's talk about Battle Scars. Right. Full spoilers. Full spoilers. Full spoilers. Yes, absolutely full spoilers. If you have not read the book, you're going to get it ruined for you. If you don't want to read the book, then we'll give you a good synopsis of what happened and yeah, what you missed. Welcome. So, yeah, welcome to <laughs> this thing. So let's run through kind of a brief plot synopsis. Now, uh, we wrote this in the format of kind of like, here's the major point that happened, and here are some details about that point. So I got like seven or eight big major things that happened in the book. So I'm just going to run through them all real fast, and then we'll dive into sort of our overall thoughts, um, kind of what we usually do. You know, our, our standard format for these sort of roundtables is like, how did you read it? Uh, what did you? What value did this add to canon? You know, we used to spend a lot of time talking about was this book good or bad? Did we? How did we rate it? What was our personal score? And we've kind of really shifted our goals to this a lot. Of now, we're just trying to figure out. You don't have to love every book and rate every single book a ten out of ten. You just have to understand what value that it brings to the timeline, which is kind of what we're what we want to do here. So, without further ado, let's dive into this plot synopsis, starting with the very beginning where Cal and the Mantis crew infiltrate the bounty, uh, that big bounty hunter base, right? So the novel starts with Cal Kestis and the rest of the Mantis crew attempting to infiltrate a bounty hunter base located in a collection of asteroids, and they work together as a strike team with Cal and Marin handling infiltration, which was a fantastic scene in the book. Uh, Seer? Seer? Seer. Seer. Yes, I listen to the audiobook, but I read that as... I haven't read the words <laughs> very often, so... Seer providing technical assistance and Grease acting as the getaway driver. Marin struggles with damage connection to her night sister magic. Uh, Marin, who's obviously a Dathomirian night sister from the first Jedi Fallen Order game, is dealing with a weakened connection to her night sister magic, her green flames, if you will, mm-hmm. and is mourning the loss of her people. And this affects her ability to use her powers kind of out throughout the entire book. And we kind of see her come to terms with that. Uh, they pick up an Imperial data analyst. I'm not going to be able to say this, even though I heard it in the audiobook. Shelwinark Fretherin. I remember Fretherin. Yeah. That'll Fret. do. That'll do, yes. Captain. That'll do. Yeah. Wild <laughs> name. They pick up Fret, who defected Fret. to the Mantis crew um, during the infiltration. The crew, uh, they pick up this Imperial data uh, analyst, and uh, she claims I've defected from the Empire. She's a Kashiri, who is a purple near human race, rarely found really outside of books and comics. It was pretty cool to see this character. Um, uh, brought to life kind of in this book. So, uh, Marin and Fred's relationship is characterized by an intense sexual chemistry. As they develop this strong emotional uh, bond, Marin finds a sense of trust and support in Fret, which allows her to feel more comfortable exploring and understanding her abilities and the problems she's having with her magic. And this uh, connection that they have really helps Marin confront her doubts and her fears and ultimately kind of gives her better control over her powers and uh this book is real steamy guys <laughs> there's a uh some might even say uh too much so um mm-hmm. was that one was that one of the purple aliens that you just pulled up Wes? yeah this is kashiri <laughs> this is what a kashiri yeah. species that does like. not just look a like a humanoid. dusty lilac throat to me but you know whatever uh to each their own um that's right, direct quotes. Uh, Kiris Lar, um, who's another character in the book, Kiris Lar tasked the Mantis crew with obtaining these pa- this powerful cloaking device called the Shroud, which is a fantastic name, by the way. Fret introduces the Mantis crew to Kiris Lair. 
a or Kiris Lar. This is a, a wealthy Amwadi who supports rebel causes, allegedly. Kiris informs the crew about the shroud, which is a powerful cloaking device that can make a person invisible. The crew the crew then agrees to retrieve the shroud schematics and prevent it from falling in the Empire's hand. So that's a big thing that happens, kind of with uh, Kiris Lar. The crew then travels to Mercana to retrieve the shroud schematics and uh, a unknown Jedi relic. All right, so the Mantis crew heads to the outer rim planet of Mercana to obtain the shroud schematics um, and a Jedi relic. Um, called the Circlet of Suresh, which I believe is from the KOTOR game, is what I read, I think, online, which is pretty it's cool. True. Uh, during their journey, Marin and Fret develop this passionate relationship, which we kind of already mentioned, which helps rekindle Marin's abilities. So that all happens kind of on the way to Mercana. Uh, Cal then discovers Fret never actually defected from the Empire. It's a major plot point. Um, Cal uses his Force Echo ability. Remember in the game, he can, like, touch something, and you get that classic Force ability where you, like, Psychometry. see visions. Yep, Psychometry. Like boss, baby! <coughs> Yep, psychometry. Uh, Cal uses his psychometry on a piece of Fred's stormtrooper armor, which is funny because he's not a stormtrooper, and discovers that <laughs> Fred never actually left the Empire, and he keeps his information to himself as they continue their mission on Mercana. He also learns a whole bunch about um, learns a whole bunch about uh, Fred and her ex ex girlfriend. We're going to go in here into a minute. Who is Irie, Fred's former partner and Shroud inventor? She joins the Mantis crew. Um, the crew discovers the Shroud schematics are not actually on a data card like they thought, but are instead held by Irie, who is a Nikto. Um, if you remember a Nikto, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, she's a Nikto, Fred's former partner, and allegedly the Shroud's inventor, even though the Shroud does not exist. And Irie agrees to join the Mantis crew. Um, when they run into her. Uh, the Mantis crew then fa- uh, faces an Inquisitor attack, but relationships are kind of ultimately strained from this encounter. Um, they manage to escape this attack from the fifth brother, but their relationships, I mean, they, they have this huge grapple with trust and differing goals and personal conflicts. I mean, it's a really big moment, I think, for the entire crew, which I think is kind of going to be carried over into the game, and we'll come back to that. Um, Seer attempts to bring the fifth brother back to the light side. Um, during this big conflict with the fifth brother seer tries to bring him back to the light side of the force which ultimately fails and grease loses one of his four arms while trying to deflect an attack that was originally aimed at seer this was confirmed to be in the game luckily uh in a trailer that um released a couple weeks ago so we have seen this happen so they're going to carry this plot detail through into the game which i would hope so losing an arm is kind of a big deal so i'm glad they're bringing that into the into the game um, after that, the crew lays low on this backwater planet and resolves to deceive uh, Kyrus ultimately with a fake version of the Shroud. Um, and um, they have this really big moment where they all kind of go their separate ways for like two days and uh, kind of establishing what their own goals of being working together and why they're together in the first place. And when they come back, they come up with this plan. They're going to deceive Kyrus with this device um, because Irie does not want to hand it over to this guy. So... Um, and then lastly, Kyrus ultimately betrays the crew like they predicted that he would. Uh, Fret and Irie leave the Mantis crew and kind of go their separate ways. Um, and um, during this ensuing chaos, like Fret is pretty injured. The fifth brother shows up. Um, he, he's the one that kills Karis. And uh, after this kind of series of events, the Mantis crew escapes. Fret and Irie decide to go their separate ways and allegedly they're going to some kind of safe planet to evade the Empire. So that was this book, kind of start to finish. Um, <coughs> a lot of small Sorry. moments, yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about some overall thoughts, and I think I want to open the gates with this myself, since I'm kind of leading this. And, uh, I want to be totally honest, I didn't really enjoy this book at all, frankly. Um, I would 
maybe rank it as among the least enjoyable books, Star Wars books that I've ever read, frankly. Um, and I would maybe even place it alongside I Jedi, which is quite the statement coming from me. However, one. I do want one. to note, I do want to note that opinions on this book have been highly polarized online with some people praising it as one of their all time favorite books, like the best book they've ever ri- written, which are read, which is funny because that's how people talk about I Jedi too. And it's important to remember that I, that it, everybody's tastes are completely different. It's totally cool to like what you like, and if you found joy in this book, do not let us affect that. You know, continue to embrace what resonates with you, and what we say about it doesn't mean jack shit. All right, we're just—I <laughs> feel like we are barely intelligent to even host a conversation about a book. So, you know, um, you don't have to listen to us. Um, I also do want to shout out the author Sam Mags too, because even though the book wasn't one of my one of my favorites, it wasn't really my cup of tea. She was really cool, and the honor, the interview that we did with her was really awesome. And I really want to emphasize that any critiques that I may or maybe any of us have are certainly no reflection of her and should not be interpreted as personal criticisms of her because she's awesome and does a lot of really cool stuff in the LGBTQ space and lots of things. So she's really cool. You don't have to like somebody's book to like the author, though. So here we are. So big questions I I guess I have for you guys. The big three are how did you read it? Like what was the format in which you read it? Um, Overall, how did you feel about it? Did you like it or not? Um, I want to know what value you feel like you added to canon for you, and I want to know kind of other things that are in this book. What are you most excited to talk about? Because I think that's really what we want to have the conversation about. Eric, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, so I read this mostly uh, physically. Uh, I did a little audiobook near the end, um, but just for, for reviews, like I try to do as much physically as I can to start out just for timing. Um, overall, uh, I, I, I kind of agree with you, man. Like this this book... If you read uh, a review of this book on the site, um, this is really a tale of two books for me. The first two-thirds of the book are, are probably the, the least enjoyable I've had reading a Star Wars book myself. Um, didn't flow for me. Didn't connect with me for a variety of reasons we'll talk about. But the last third of it was like, okay, I am ready for Jedi Survivor now. I'm, I kind of really got into the Mantis crew. And basically, I... I in retrospect, I've been thinking about it. It's kind of when Fret is with the crew, I was completely out. I didn't really care for it. And then when it was just the crew on a mission, the fifth brother fight, stuff like that, I was very much in. Um, I do want to say here, though, uh, like where you said, this has been a very polarizing book um, for some very valid reasons. Some folks like us just didn't connect with it. Uh, some folks love it. If you don't connect with this because there's gay characters in it, we're not on the same team. Like, we're not saying that. We don't like it. Don't <laughs> use us for that. You just suck. So, yeah. like, to be clear, <laughs> that that's is an important distinction, issue. actually. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. Um, but yeah, I didn't, didn't like the book because of the plot points in the writing. You didn't like them because they were gay characters. We are not you're the a same person. That's stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the the yeah, so that stuff didn't really land for me. Uh, but for what value did that for the canon for me was really like the end of it. I saw finally what the crew from Fallen Order could be like going into Survivor. I'm like, I thought the battle sequences against Fifth Brother were good i do think that one of the issues with the book um was one of the issues with kind of all licensed books which i know we'll talk about was that i felt like it didn't add enough to canon because they got to assume people aren't going to read this between the games and you can't do too much off screen which i understand and i think the fret because i didn't work with the fret character very much that was kind of the addition that you get so i didn't really dig that a whole lot but what i'm most excited to talk about myself 
is that stuff with fifth brother Kel and Seer. I like the idea yeah. of Seer trying to save people not being able to as a Jedi. How fascinating is that? You know, because we've always seen Ahsoka being able to, like, cleanse the Red Blades and make them white <laughs> and try to be like, I'm going to bring the Jedi back. And we were now confronted with a character who wants to do that and physically cannot. Um, and I yeah. think that's a very interesting idea that I hope is actually more explored in Survivor of the game. So, ultimately, this is probably on my lower tier. Like you said, Sam is fantastic as a person. Love talking to Sam. Had some great ideas. I think she writes really great action stuff. But, as a whole, not my favorite. Philia, Philia, Charles. All right, or I, will take, I will take the next go around here. So, um, let's see. I listened to it, so I did an audiobook. Um, I the narration was to, interesting too, by the way, wasn't it, Wes? It was. It's a new guy. It was a new guy. I think he did really well. Um, and some of the uh, the scenes were were well put. Well, I guess like well created. If you're doing an audio drama, audio book, uh, so I always like doing the audiobook, especially with long drives. They they do fantastic. Um, I listened to about half of it. Um, before I restarted it and went back because I had missed some time. It's about a week, so if I miss about a week during an audiobook, I gotta restart it. <laughs> no chance. I'm the same way. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I restarted. But I did I did audiobook. I love doing audiobook because I like, you know, the sound effects and the and the uh, the dialogue yep. and the diff- different dictation from the uh, from the um, narrator. So that's the that's the way I take in those books. Um so I mean I was lukewarm this book, just like both of you. Um uh, I could take her or leave it. I like knowing backstory on um, video games or even other books, um, movies, TV shows. I just like to know the backstory. That way, when I watch the main story, the main video game, when I play it, I know these little pieces that they put into the game. Like, oh, much like um, uh, the, the pilot of the Manus's arm. Like, it's Grease. How did he get it? Grease. Like, how did he lose his arm? You're like. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least we know why it's gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> the book hails that. Um, and I mean, like one of the main points that I was excited to talk about was the concept of the shroud. I was, I was, I guess, excited to see that it was a piece of like empire research, much like we see stardust, much like yep. we see like hyperspace tracking, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I thought that it was on the same level, so we were going to get something like that. You need know, a like cloaking device where you're invisible to anybody. Like invisibility, that's like the one of the main, like one of the main military um, pieces of equipment that they've been trying to perfect for years. Yeah. So if you could be invisible, I mean, you could pretty much be unstoppable. I thought that was going to be John something Cena to carry over into you the game. Hey. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, I, I'm really excited if they, they take that concept and develop it into something. I don't know if we haven't heard about it in anything else um, after this or even in this timeline. So I don't know if it goes anywhere from there, but I, I really want it to be hashed out i want it to be created and i want you know i want to see it be used yeah. it, especially it'd be great in the video game for sure because you yeah. could use that you know to, to sneak by stormtroopers and you know all the you know hundreds of brothers and hundreds <laughs> of sisters that, that, that are trying to kill you so i mean it is it was a great concept for um a piece of equipment that they didn't want empire to get their hands on so i'm excited to talk about that hopefully they they um they elaborate on that somehow it's a good name too. The shroud is badass. Yeah, it's a great name. Which <laughs> also, cool. I think, like they look for it so hard. It's like, oh, the shroud. Oh yeah, yeah. we gotta find that. That's that's yeah. uh, <laughs> that's 
That's I definitely know. real. Maybe someone just misplaced it with the invisibility on, and now they just don't know where it is. You <laughs> <laughs> need like a car alarm on that thing. Um, I I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. First of all, I read this physically as I read all my books if I can. But on Kindle, which is still new for me, um, I, I didn't love it. Uh, this was a, a harder read for me, and I think because of two main things. Number one, that Eric has already alluded to, they can't do too much in these books that are tie-ins because yeah. this is the story before the story. You know what I mean? But I still go in wanting the whole story. So it's probably a little bit on us for not managing our expectations. I mean, this is like an off-screen prequel to a major video game, so they really can't yeah. do too much. But the other thing for me that, that didn't land very well was I felt that this book did um, it did too much telling instead of showing in certain yeah. areas of the book. That's a good way to put especially, it. I mean, Charles, it showed a lot. It showed in some places. It showed a lot in some places. It was a very, it was a very uh, sexual book. I will say that. But then at the same time, it was very, it felt very YA to me, like through and through. It did. Um, especially mm-hmm. the humor. There was a lot of humor in this book. But the point being, between Fret and Marin in particular, there was, you know, even a particular spot where it said like they had shared a lot of deep conversation. And, you know, that's telling me what happened, but not showing me what happened. So some of it just didn't have the emotional weight that I think um, was intended, at least. And there probably just wasn't time. That, that was probably, you know, the story that maybe, you know, someone really wanted to tell. But at the same time, you also have to develop all these other characters and, right. and all of that for the game itself. So that's kind of how I felt about that. But the value that it adds, you know, I do think to a degree, I have a little bit of a deeper understanding of everyone's motivations, like individually, that's part of the Mantis crew headed into this game. I mean, I think this was setting up whatever is going to happen in that game. I'm sure it did that. I mean, that was the major purpose of the book. So I'm excited to see um, exactly where they take the story. And there was a lot of hinting that, you know, maybe the crew wouldn't even be able to hold together the way that we know it. We certainly saw them stressed to the point of breaking in this book but they held it together, and I wonder if that's something that, that we may see. So, anyways, there's a lot of story left here to tell. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I also did the audiobook like Wes, and, uh, you know, the narrator is new. I don't have his name in front of me, um, but uh, the narrator is new. Um, he did a pretty good job. Me- uh, I will say that Marin and Fret have very similar accents in the book, so it was a little uh, in the audiobook, it was a little trouble, a little difficult to tell them apart. I wasn't a big fan of that, and also uh, the depiction of Cal and his voice and his sort of inflection in his voice and stuff was very young and sort of like I know where I'm going. Like it was just like really, <laughs> I don't know. It was sort of awkward. Yeah. Like that's so hard. I find with Star Wars books because I've been listening to a lot of I've been listening to the Mistborn trilogy audiobooks lately, and I realize oh I haven't heard any of these people. So whenever the narrator says a voice, I'm like, that's just their voice. And I accept it instantly. And with these, like, Cal especially, (laughs) I mean, you, what, Fallen Order is, what, 30, 40 hours? Yeah, you're with you this character, like, you know when it's wrong, so that's interesting. It's Luke. His voice is Luke in A New Hope when they're like, Luke, you've turned off your targeting p- computer. Is everything okay? And he goes, nothing. I'm all right. It's just like, <laughs> that's how he is the whole book. And I'm just like, okay. That was spot on, <laughs> man. That was really good. Narrator is Sean Keenan Elias Reyes. Yeah. Okay. He's been in some of the audio drama casts, <laughs> I like believe. I think people. he's done a, a, a yeah. thing here and there. 
Uh, but I think this is his first full yeah, length. Yeah, it was good. I welcome him uh, to the fray, and I hope we get uh, some more projects from him. I, I do think he's a pretty talented narrator, and he got all like the names accurate and a lot of the planets and stuff. That's key. He, he did all that stuff really, really well, and you know the sound effects were great as usual. So that was fun. Yeah. Oh, um, sorry. I want to. I want to correct myself. He did uh, Poe Dameron and Freefall. <clears throat> oh, okay, cool. Yep. So there you go. All right, well, let's, uh, you know, um, I'm excited to talk all about all of it, so let's just dive into this. Um, I kind of want to break this up into some big kind of uh, areas a little bit because uh, I feel like our characters are nicely separated because we kind of had Marin, Fret, and Irie doing their own thing this book, and then we had uh, Cal, Seer, and Grease kind of doing their own thing in this book. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about those two sets of characters, and then I briefly want to talk about some of the kind of the middle stuff, like the marketing initiative thing, um, some mm-hmm. of the video game elements, and then I want to round us out with Easter eggs, as we always do. So let's just dive right into Marin, Fret, and Irie a little bit. And I want to talk about the representation in this book because it's very forward and fantastic and progressive, this book. Um, Sam, I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this, but Sam Maggs confirmed uh, via a bunch of interviews that she did that um, Marin is, in fact, pansexual, and that mm-hmm. was originally envisioned by the team at Respawn. That wasn't her idea. Respawn actually um, s- suggested that story point to her when she wrote the book. Um, and, of course, Respawn are the, is the publisher of the game. Um, and the author really talked a lot about wanting to create this very overtly queer relationship, you know, as straight couples have had plenty of, you know, romantic moments in the Star Wars universe. So, you know, I guess my, my big question is just how awesome is it to see publishers? You know, this is a top-down decision. The publishers pushing the representation and not just put all the onus onto the authors because, you know, sometimes people are mean to the authors on the Internet, and they're like, Ugh. so, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I will say from from our interview with with Sam when when, when she she and I chatted, this was very clear, and I was kind of shocked um, <clears throat> at how much she praised specifically Respawn and Disney Lucasfilm. Um, she's like Star Wars. She's like is easily the most progressive, welcoming publisher she's worked with. And if you know Sam's career, she's worked with games journalism a lot. She's worked with a lot of yeah. companies for IP, and she's mm-hmm. like Lucasfilm far and above best one. And I, and I was. Because there, there hasn't been a ton of representation. I, I was surprised a little at that, but it is good to know, like you say, that that stuff's coming from inside and that everyone is yeah. kind of pushing it. And, and I think that, like, whether the specifics of their relationship, which I see we're going to talk about in a second, worked for us or didn't, the identity of the character was always clear from the top. And especially for a lot of fans of Marin, like, that have never seen themselves or their sexuality, like, shown in popular culture, that not being a question... And being cagey, I think was great. Yeah. yeah, and especially to see it done in a way where it was just it, it was just presented like, "Hey, this is a thing. This is the story," and just taking it from there, it, it, it felt very different. It did feel much more organic than like what was at the end of the Rise of Skywalker, right? With oh the kiss God. relegated to the background yeah. for like a half a second, and you're like, <laughs> you know, clearly that was just thrown in there and not really thought through. Whereas yeah. this, like. This is the relationship from, yeah. you know, cover to cover. Yeah. It felt good that it was clearly thought out this time. Yeah. Cal wasn't like, but she's a girl. Yeah. And you're a girl. Dude, that's how it would have been narrated. 100%. That's how it would have been narrated. How does that? that been awful. I don't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good. That, that wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, it was done very casually, and you know, I think it's uh, that's how you want representation to be in Star Wars. And you know, I've said it a thousand times: like we want 
everyone to feel like they can see themselves in Star Wars. And that's why representation is important. Absolutely. Every single time. So build a really longer cool to see table. That. Build a longer table, that's not right. a higher fence. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, that's the you phrase. don't specifically want the character, like you're saying, Eric, to point it out. Mm-hmm. Those two are in love with each other, and it's not normally like that. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, geez. Like, it just makes it even worse. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it it's a natural part. It's a natural part of society, and it just needs to flow, and she did a good job. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, sort of a follow-up to that, I think, is very kind of interesting to think about, because a lot of people thought that Cal and Marin maybe had something you know, romantic and fall in order. Do you, you know, the fact that Marin has been confirmed as a pan character sort of leaves that door open a little bit, actually, interestingly. So do you think that we will see any sort of continuity there? Is there going to be con- a continuation of that? Maybe the little spark that is possibly there. I mean, Fred even pointed it out in this book that, mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. you and Cal, huh? You know, like yeah. after they had had their thing. So I don't yeah. know. What do you think? And Cal thought it. Cal had some inner monologue about it. I'm like, that's true. Oh, I he did. Mm. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe not in this. Uh, maybe not in the video game. I don't think they'll necessarily mm. go down that path for this game. But I don't think mm. they're planning on leaving these characters behind. So I think they're trying to play the will they won't they kind of card and yeah. you know string us that along makes a little sense. bit. It's yeah. more interesting in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. that's one of the interesting things I saw about a lot of Fallen Order fans that had issues with this book. Um, some of them were, were the issues that we've chatted about, but others were like that. That was a huge issue for some folks that that were big <laughs> Cal Marin fans. Yeah, said like why did specifically why did Marin seem to kind of not even hint yeah. that Cal because they definitely had kind of brother sister vibes from her. I felt in this book, they did. and I think more so than like will they won't they? I thought that was odd. I I, cause I agree. I, I think so it's too. very clear in Fallen Order, and I wouldn't be surprised if they bring that back in Survivor. So I think that'll be more of like a hiccup in the history of these two characters. Yeah. I can totally get behind that for sure. So they were, so some of the people on Reddit were mad that they took them three and a half weeks to make some weird sexual retcon between Marin and Cal. <laughs> yeah. And now, now they're not getting together in the book. So they're pissed off that their, <laughs> that their, that their fan fiction doesn't resonate with anybody like, anymore. Haven't we all liked the dark moody goth girl? And then she goes away for a couple of weeks, has a fling with someone else. We're like, Oh, she doesn't like me anymore. And then she comes back and you're like, well, maybe now. Like that's all it is. God, Who among yeah. us has it? I'm, I'm not projecting. You're projecting. Shut up. I think what's going to happen is Marin is going to learn how to do a force heal and Cal's going to die. Marin's going to heal him. And then Cal's oh going to use the force God. heal on her and then they're going to kiss. And then that's going to be the end of the game. Will All right, let's talk about house watching the, the game audibly laugh when that happens, though. That's the question. Because, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God. All right, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the elephant in the engine room. Let's do let's it. Let's talk about. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> that was good because it does did you happen like that? in the engine room. Yeah. Uh, I see. How, I see how you do these little transitions, Eric. It's, it's not hard. To me. Uh, yeah, that's right. Let's talk about. <laughs> <I> disagree. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the sexual, the intense sexual chemistry that was in this book, and uh, mm. let's just dive into this. So this narrative, because I want to highlight something that Charles said earlier. Um, the narrative places a pretty substantial emphasis on. Marin's attraction to Fred in this book, right? I mean, often details her thoughts on Fred's physical appeal. Um, but the story seems to lack kind of explicit examples. I mean, it is explicit, but you know what I mean. Uh, the story seems like 
some sort of like direct examples of how Fret actually assists Marin in coping with like her trauma, right? They have these intimate moments in the engine room, which occupies a pretty significant portion of the first part of the book. Yet it um, sort of remains unclear exactly how they directly contributed to Marin overcoming her powers and issues that she was having. So. Um, and I think uh, an excellent point to make is that the ambiguity becomes a bit more pronounced later on in the book um, when it's sort of revealed that Fret has not even really been truthful about her experiences mm. about loss and love, like deeply intimate things that would probably come up if you really are getting to know somebody that deeply, which sort of raises the question to me about like the depth of their connection actually and mm-hmm. sort of how that could even impact Marin's recovery. So I, I kind of agree that I sort of had Ooh. this had a bit of a problem with like they kept saying things like they had these deep and emotional moments so many moments over the last few weeks like he kept saying things like that but like where were those moments right did they happen Mm -hmm. like because you can't just casually drop that and expect it to have like a lot of weight so i kind of want to ask you what your opinion on the romantic and intimate scenes of this book were right did you find them appealing and sensual might be the right word or Mm -hmm. did it present you know issues for you i i think they were out of place is a way i could say it for me personally and i and i want to i want to like i guess preface there's a lot of prefacing in this book but i think that's important like sex happens in star wars that is a real thing there are characters that, that feel attraction to each other that engage sexually that is not a not star wars thing and i think some people do feel that way and that that's your own thing if you don't want to read that in your star wars book that's totally fine um this is the first Star Wars book I ever felt slightly prudish about, but I think it was because of the way the scenes kind of just popped up. And mm. I was like, this is, like you said, Corey, like, like, I didn't see the connection that was being told to me yeah, necessarily. And I think that it came out of nowhere. Like, for example, I think this was handled beautifully in A Crash of Fate, which is the Zoraida's Cordova YA book that was the um, Galaxy's Edge initiative. Pretty decently explicit scene in that in that book but i thought it was very naturally handled um no spoilers of course like go read that book if you haven't it's actually um i think an underrepresented gem but this book they just seem to be put in just for the sake of putting them in kind of like when you'd watch like a teen comedy in the early 2000s where like a girl (laughs) takes her shirt off and you're like that's what they had that yep that because that's what they want to do yep and i i i didn't feel like it was earned, and because of that, I feel like I, as reader, felt a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and shocked at, like, how seemingly graphic it went from bit to bit. It was. It was um, very lustful, was, might be a good yeah, way to say it. It was yeah. lusty. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, intimate. It was just very physical, and, yeah. like... Yeah, that's a great way to say the it. Timing, the timing was a little inappropriate, too, I felt like, at times. Like, there was a... There's a moment pretty yeah. not not very far after the engine room uh, event, <laughs> if you yep. will. There was a, a moment uh, shortly after you know their sort of initial connection in the engine room, like where they all they're in like a middle of a battle and they have this sort yep. of weird moment where they're like this kissing each other's about. necks and stuff, and like they right start making out in the middle of, an, of a live battle. Active combat, like somebody yeah. their friend could die next to them, and they're like you know kissing. That's just it felt very. Is that is that possible? Is that humanly and emotionally should, possible to be so attracted to somebody right. that you can just be like all up in it? You can't keep it in your pants like while yeah. your friends could be dying. Like, is that possible yeah. actually? Because I don't know that it is. If it doesn't feel up. if it's set up. Yeah, I think emotions run rampant in battle, Corey. 
I mean, I would, I would, I wouldn't know, like, (laughs) you know, but still, I, I I may agree with you. I do feel it's out of, it was out of place too. I mean, just, it didn't really resonate with me at all. And cause it didn't, I don't feel that it pushed the store, the plot of trying to find this device and using it for like trying to get out of the empire's hands, all that. But it did, it did help you understand why Marin was able to use her, her night sister magic so forcefully Mm-hmm. In, in that battle because she was pissed off about um, about Fret. Yeah. yeah. Right? So she was like, like, I'm super mad. Now I'm going to use it to my advantage, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she, like, touched the dark side, like, really grabbed it. So yeah. <laughs> it worked out yeah. well in any case. I, but I, um, I have a few thoughts on why Charles. this is. <clears throat> I think one is that this book didn't develop the same way that a lot of other books that have this type of material do. Like you bring up Crash of Fate, there's Lost Stars, which is arguably just just as, I guess, graphic or, or lustful in certain scenes. But those scenes typically come in the last 20% of a book. Like they stand on the shoulders of, of an entire That's book that point. was built to make <clears throat> that a thing. Whereas it happened in, I want to say, the first 20% to 30% of this book. So it felt <clears throat> it felt fast. It felt like it wasn't standing on the shoulders of much. It felt kind of sudden. And then we were just moving on. And this is a thing now. So I think that was part of it. The other part is this book jumped around narrate, or I guess point of view a whole lot, right? And it, and it always mm-hmm. jumped in between members of the crew. But you never really got much of fret or all that much of Marin because you're also getting Grease and Seer and Cal and all this stuff. So right. rather than even getting those two characters who are so intimately involved, rather than getting their mm-hmm. viewpoints throughout hundreds of pages, you're getting Grease like, man, they've been in that engine room a long time. And it's just like, yeah. that doesn't yeah. develop the relationship or like, to me. Yeah. Right. Seer's so, yeah. like, wow, I'm glad she has someone. Like, yeah. that's yeah. all you got to say it's about not, it, really? It's I mean, not yeah. the same. Well, I think that, that's also one of, the, one of the larger issues that I have, and I'm, I, I see now I scrolled down. This is going to be a thing we talk about later, but like when Brett <clears throat> and Marin's romantic scenes were being written, I felt that the descriptors of the world and the reality of the other characters seemed to take a step back in order to facilitate it. Because I think that's that a good way to put it. in order to <clears throat> put these scenes in the book, certain like characters needed to, like you say, oh, what's going on in there? Like intelligence has to drop. Certain things have to happen in order to ignore what's happening or, like, in order to buy Marin and Fret's instantaneous lustful attraction. Like, certain things just had to come out of place. And I felt like the writing as a whole kind of focused so much on how how hot or steamy this particular thing was. And, and the rest of the plot, I don't know if it's an editing thing. I don't know if it's a storytelling thing. But just didn't seem to also go <clears throat> forward. It was just kind of waiting until the scene was over and then it moved later. So it was a little, like, jarring. Yeah. Every time it showed up. That's fair. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that some of the, like, some of the writing itself, the the word choices themselves were a little odd. They felt thesaurus-y, like, if that makes sense. Like, like mm-hmm. you couldn't think, think of a word, so you had to pick a different word with a thesaurus. Like, my favorite line that I wrote down, because it's Legendary. Crazy. Legendary. Yeah. It's good. That's a, a nice way to put it. Exquisite dusty lilac throat. No, dusty. It wasn't dusty, dusty. was it? it no, was... it's dusty. A hundred percent. I went t- back and listened to it with a T. Dusty. Exquisite dusty lilac throat. Yes. I don't even know what's what... making that one. Okay. That's my yeah, favorite I... Midwest emo ska band. Actually, I know. Seriously, <laughs> dusty lilac throat. She was, she was, Exquisite dusty Marin lilac is... throat. 
Marion is talking about frets. Exquisite, dusty, yeah. lilac throw. What? That's rough. No, what? I mean, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I, I think uh, my wife and I listened to it together, and or I made her listen to the scene because she was uh, she was kind of getting on me, like because I was sort of complaining about it. And my wife, she's like just being kind of sexist, and it's just like you're just a man. Men don't know what romance is. Blah blah blah. And you know, and I've like made her listen to it, and she's like, you have to you have to turn this off. <laughs> this is like <laughs> this is like teen anime is what how she described it, which is a pretty good way to to put it, which also strikes me a little bit, which is the thing that I want to kind of shift gears with a little bit here yeah. is that maybe that's why we didn't get it, right? And there's that a lot of people online yeah. that totally do get it. If it like just as anime has this really intense emotional depiction and the way everything is depicted sexually as well, there's a lot of sexual or like eroticism in sort of anime material. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's a key a part of that sort of medium. Right. So like, yeah. and I, I'm not really into anime. I don't really like it. Uh, it's not really my thing. So like I can see why maybe this would sort of resonate with that, like crowd a little bit that culture a little bit so you know it wasn't for us that doesn't mean that it's bad or good or anything it just means that it wasn't for us so the last thing i kind of want to touch on this is like sort of things we already touched on a little bit which was marin's sort of development so i think we're supposed to see her develop through this like that was the whole point i think is Mm -hmm. we see how she overcomes her i don't know what she has her problems (laughs) i don't know her inability to activate her force powers basically right Mm -hmm. like do you think that this occurred did we accomplish that like did do we better understand Marin and her development now after all of this i'm not really sure we do by the end yes but i think that's not because of everything we've discussed so far I think by the end of the book, like, there's an amazing scene in this. My favorite scene where she's fighting and she, like, raises an army of the dead, mm-hmm. like, and controls them all and really shows her unbridled night sister power. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Dark great. side shit. That was yeah, pretty good. Th- exactly. And she's fighting alongside Cal and Light and Dark alongside <clears> one another, which was a huge part of the first game and how the Jedi binary is maybe bad. And that was <clears> a great narrative plot. And I think this does touch on that. So by the end of the game, I was yep. like, oh, I'm ready for Survivor now. Because in Survivor, this will probably be touched on. I don't yep. think because of the, this part, which may have been intentional. So I think the fret part, like you said, all the conversations they supposedly had and those things showed us, that didn't help me. But the proof was in yep. the pudding later in the book. So by the end, I think it made sense, just <clears throat> not maybe in the intended way. Yeah, I think the the beginning of the book is... Uh, Marin has trouble with her powers. The end of the book, she's she's got her mojo back, right? Yep. But whatever you, put, whatever you put in the middle there is sort of irrelevant. I mean, there's a lot of storytelling devices they could have used to make this happen. I sort of kind of feel like an intense sexual relationship was sort of the sort of not a great option. Like that that mm-hmm. was the thing that we that was yeah that was the thing that that removed that mental block for her to be able to yeah she had to get her dark yeah. side she had to get better. laid <laughs> that's yeah. it i gotta tell you she had to get laid uh, plain and simple <laughs> yeah I, that, i'll tell you what that has, that has never uh really helped a lot of emotional blocks for me fellas that has only added confusion and a lot of issues so. Well, yes, but how many times? How many times have you looked at looked at your friend, or looked at this person in this really shitty event, or looked at this really mean person in your life, and said, "You know what? That person just needs to get laid." How many times have you said 
that. Like for real. Valid. You know what? <laughs> Valid point. Yeah. But Quite I, a few. I, I think <laughs> a lot of pent up aggression. Very mean to people. That's right. <laughs> I, I think it. though yeah. what's what's interesting about this book though is that it's obviously a sequel to Fallen Order. It's a prequel to the next game, and it it solved a problem that it presented within itself about mm-hmm. a character, right? So it kind of feels yeah, very circular point. by the end because at the end of Fallen Order, Marin was a badass, like using you know all of her powers, all kind of stuff. In this book, she oh, yeah. lost it, got it back. We go to the next game, and she's in the same spot as she was at the end of the first. Game. I know. So yeah. it's like it's yeah. kind of like yeah. it is character development, but it's just it, it ends us up at the same point. Yeah. If I try to do a partner combo with Marin and Survivor, and she's like, "I'm just not feeling it," I'm gonna be like, "Yo!" <laughs> <laughs> no! Exactly. Exactly. I can't wait for those partner combos. Side note: Every time I see a video of like that they dude like really rolling good. over Cal's back, oh, sick. So rad. Let's talk about Fred for a minute. Let's um, do it. Because I also found her character arc a bit confusing to me. Um, most notably throughout the entire book, she's persistently referred to as a stormtrooper by multiple characters, not just Grease, even though he says it a bunch of times. She's yeah. referred to as a stormtrooper, even though she's not one, yeah. right? Yeah. Instead, she merely like put the armor on to blend in on the ground because she's actually an analyst, and that was revealed very early on in the book. Um, now, without getting too meta about it it sort of felt like the author like really wanted to tell a stormtrooper story but somehow couldn't make it work so this was almost a product of the editing process is kind of how this felt a little bit to me Mm. so it was weird to me that we kept calling her a stormtrooper that was so recurrent in the book having a lot and Mm -hmm. she's not even kind of a stormtrooper she literally just put the armor on for a minute it was weird it was Um, it was weird too for that same because i 100 percent agree with you it really stuck out to me it was also weird that her armor was like the thing that gave Cal the force vision because she she wore it for like five minutes. Apparently. Two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly, yep. exactly. Um, the other thing that I found a little bit confusing was her like this big reveal in the book, right? That her lack of defection from the Empire. I found that really baffling, to be honest, because. It appeared that she sort of discreetly was biding her time, continuing her duties, trying to avoid like arousing suspicion while she was like making her plan, right, to get out. But it's talked about as if it was this great traitorous act to like not leave. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, but- I wrote in my notes as I was reading for the review, um, <clears throat> Cal should kill her immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was like, when that happens, like I actually never left the Empire. I'm like, I've played Fallen Order, killed a lot of people. Uh, I know. Like, there, I'm, that, I'm like, cool. <laughs> Done. No remorse. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you're exactly. actually, uh, the is going to find us? Bye-bye. You know, I, know. I, I was, yeah. either I it is say, a big deal and she should die, or it's not a big deal mm-hmm. and therefore can't push the story forward like it needs to. I, I, I agree. I think that was a, a wild a decision, decision. that was. didn't quite live in both camps because, yeah, no, there's no, Cal's very forgiving. Love him for that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but also, also like they're they're opposites, right? It's an oxymoron. She's like, I didn't leave the empire, but she did leave the empire, and like, it's like a sabbatical. I, I don't understand like what it is. Like, why couldn't she have just been like, hey, so um, while I've been in the empire, like, wasn't why wasn't this part of the plan? Like, I've been part of the empire, so I still have these codes. Are still actively changing, just confusing, getting the, getting the comms. Like, that's all she had to say. That was part of the plan. Like, I don't understand. Uh, I think it. I think it just fell flat for the reason that you're saying. I mean, it, because at the end of the day, there was an easy explanation. But there is, you know, the 
the writing exercise where you ask yourself, like, hey, what is the hardest thing that this character would have to learn right now? And for Marin, in that moment, it would probably be that Fret is not who she said she was and that she was still with the thing that her crew was trying to bring down. But it was so short-lived and it was so kind of anticlimactic because in literally the Mm -hmm. next scene is when they're kissing in the hallway again. So like there was yeah. so yeah. even though you you presented this big problem that was supposed to be very impactful there there was a lack of impact. It was like a bombshell dropping but then it was defective and didn't go off. It just yeah. stuck in the dirt and just sat yeah. there. And it's like oh but why did we like, go through I, this, you know? I didn't actually I break up with my boyfriend, but you still want to make out? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess. I don't I mean, yeah. I really do not like that the plot device that they use for that to happen was just pure lust to me at all. Like, yeah, if, if we were to, this is a little dicey to bring up, but if we were to add a, in my opinion, a male female relationship with this, where the male is the one who can't keep it in his pants. I think it makes it a little more clear to me that like this is problematic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like the, the male guy and this hot new, possibly traitorous Hot woman purple woman as she's like described yes many and times. he's like oh i gotta betray all my friends because i'm so horny that's like you and icky gross <laughs> to me and that's like very yeah. obvious and maybe i can maybe i can visualize that a little bit better because i'm a straight white male but like i it's problematic to me their entire relationship is very problematic they just welcome this person that they don't know anything about to the ship and they start doing it that's a problem yeah. to me yeah i mean it was yeah very love at first sight lust at first sight kind of thing where you have to like we basically had to buy into it immediately, and I don't think – I know four of us didn't buy into it immediately, yeah. and I'm, there's probably some others that didn't buy into it either. Um, but, I mean, getting into Fret's story, like, I I feel that we didn't get the, the explanation of why she said she left the Empire, and then she said, oh, no, I'm still with the Empire – like there could, there should have been an extra couple pages. Yeah, of I mean the the, the explanation she that she to do that. Yeah. The explanation that she gave was that she was afraid to leave, so she needed to figure out where the Mantis crew was, and that she had to get more information and make her plan, which is all perfectly valid reasons yeah. to stay in the Empire. Like to make, her, but at that point, you're not really in the Empire. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're planning your escape, you're already out. Right, just say so, you're a double yeah, agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I think that's one of, the, one of the weirder things about it too is that. All the other characters should have had more questions, and they kind of do to an extent because we're, we're told in Fallen Order, like, we see the crew come together, and they, they are intelligent people, all of them. And it's been years, a couple years since Fallen Order, we, we were told, you know. They've been on missions. They kind of know how this goes. And that was one of my issues where whenever Fret was concerned, the narrative as a whole took a backseat for convenience of, like, lust or whatever it may be. Like, yeah. Seer and Grease, as the characters we have been told in Fallen Order, and the characters that I do believe are written later in the book, are, are not that forgiving or blind or, you know, to, to yeah. go along with this kind of thing. And I think that's where the, the incongruence makes it confusing. Like, it's not just the sexuality <laughs> stuff. It's not, it's not that right. it's overly it's not that. lustful. Just... It's that <clears throat> that event causes other characters to act outside their nature Aside from them, yeah. in order to allow it to make yeah. sense. Yeah, because Corey, you you asked that, or you kind of provided that hypothetical about what if it was a male character, who, and I don't have an answer to this, but just that those out there, who is like the most sexual male character in all of Star Wars? Lando Calrissian. It's Lando, right? And I could see Lando doing a lot of these same things, and I don't know that I would 
feel as rebuffed, not because he's a male, but because like, yeah. oh, that's Lando. So maybe a bit of it is just that we don't really know Marin yeah. all that well. You know what I mean? Right. Like once <clears throat> Which once is it's ultimately... established that someone acts that way or whatever, it's like, okay, that's that's who this character is to a degree. And yeah. we can kind of peel back the layers. But Marin's still relatively new to everybody. She is. Yeah. And that's that's actually a point. I don't think I have it in here, but I, I'm remembering that I wanted to bring this up is, I don't know if you guys have seen me talk about this in our gaming channel and Slack, but I have always sort of complained about the narrative character-driven story in Fallen Order. Like, because I don't think that any character in the entire game besides Cal basically has any personality or special features at all. <laughs> like the dialogue is just not very good. The storytelling is not very good. The character development, in my opinion of all the characters besides Cal is pretty weak, including Marin who we don't even meet to like the last 20% of the game. So like, wild, wild yeah. Choice. Right. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, some pretty wild choices that are actually a problem with the prequel to this book in a yeah. lot of ways. So like, maybe that is ultimately the problem is that the author's hands are tied in a lot of ways, which I want to come back to. So let's go, let's move on and talk about Irie a little bit, just to finish up this, this trio, um, because her narrative arc was sort of supposed to deliver this really strong emotional impact reminiscent of, the classic love triangle, right? The Casablanca, the uh, Pearl Harbor, if you've seen that, where that time-honored trope of a presumed dead lover returning after the surviving partner has moved on with someone else. And that is a really rich storytelling device. But, you know, I would kind of make the point that the relationship between Marion and Fred is not really well established, right? It's new and they barely know each other. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I feel like their connections sort of lack depth. Um, But, you know her character arc is supposed to be this love triangle thing. Right. I also think it's very interesting that Cal sort of chose not to share his, you know, his decision to not share that vision that he had with the group is sort of portrayed as this big betrayal, but it's a little unclear how Cal is even supposed to understand the relevance of this old historical thing that he maybe saw Mm -hmm. and his kind of connection to the current situation. So I guess that's my big question is like, did the, did Irie's narrative arc sort of make logical sense? Like, did it achieve this, intended emotional impact because it was supposed to have this whole dead lover kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't mind Irie myself. I think, uh, once she kind of got in and maybe it's because she separated Fred and Marin. And I was like, dope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) cool. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily like bought every part of it, but like, I'm also, I mean, I mean, come on, man. You mentioned two ten out of 10. <laughs> Casablanca, Pearl Harbor. Like, that, those are – the trope That's is right. good. You know, I, I, when it works, it, it really works well. So I think, like, having it – having her show up I think was a good choice narratively. Um, it's all in my head. Also very classic trope. You know, there is no plan. I'm the plan. You're, like, very fun. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I think it was almost less of a, oh – I don't know if if everything about her makes sense and the betrayal dynamics work. It was more so like that was the part of the book where I latched on, right? When the prison break started happening and I was like, oh, cool. And Irie just happened to be the catalyst for it. So maybe I was just thankful for her as a character to be like, yo, thank you for getting this going, man. I appreciate you, Irie. (laughs) It did allow us to move on quickly. Yeah, I thought it was a fun reveal, right? They were looking for this specific tangible piece of – you know, non-human-like or non-species equipment, 
Like we're trying to find this. This is the shroud. This thing right yeah. here. It has the it has the schematics on it. And they open the cell door and they go to it and they're like, that is a that is a creature inside there with a beating heart. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, wait a second. That is the person. Like, and you're just like, oh, well, who is this person? It's like, that is Fred's long lost lover. And you're like, what? Yeah. I mean, it was fun. Yeah. It's a fun yeah. thing to put yeah. in there. So I'm, I'm not going to, no. I'm not going to criticize. Listen, they did spend right? way too much damn time standing there talking about the situation while they freaking did. alarms are blaring. Yeah. People oh. are breaking out of jail. They're behind oh. bars. I do want to say, when they said uh, her name was Chell something. I in the in the before we found out she was a Nikto in the flashback. Oh, it's Chell. I was like Chell, Chelly, Chelly Afra. Yeah, I thought she was bringing Afra into oh the my story. God. And I'm God, like, of all the names, because I read eventually the, the nickname, but to do Chell and Chelly Lona Afra is her full name. Yeah. I was like, yeah, sorry. I, I was like that. Come on, guys. Yeah, really, most, another Chell. I mean, it's a big universe. It's a big universe, but it's a small universe. <laughs> but. It's big and small. But I liked Irie as a character. Where her story actually fell a little flat for me was how the Shroud was never a, an actual thing that existed. Like, it was it was a yeah. premise yeah. at yeah. most. And it was like, so why was Fret, like, trying to divert <laughs> people from discovering her? And why did she get imprisoned if this thing never even existed? Like, that... that Fell a little no, bit it, flat it, to me. It still doesn't exist. She never actually built it. Exactly. Yeah. Simple some lightsaber parts. Yeah. Just made Tony Stark built this in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> the box is scrapped. <laughs> the box is scrapped. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. It's it feels like it's it's oh it's just an idea. Like I come with great ideas in the shower. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like like no one's gonna come. Listen, Wes. Come I have this really good idea. Jail. <laughs> it's a really good idea to build an app, all right? We're going to build an app, and all we got to do is get a developer. I don't know anything about coding. We're going to build an app, all right? It's the Shroud. It's fantastic. I'm gonna now be the next now we're going to have the SWAT team. You have a SWAT team come through your windows for that idea that just came out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on a little bit. My video is lagging like crazy. I'm not sure if my audio is still good. You look you fine. You're, okay. lovely. You're good. You're great. All right, cool. You're great. I can't see any of the never, video on my end. I'm just, just, just going to keep blowing. Just fake it. All right, let's move do. on from let's move on from the Marin Fred and Irie trio love triangle to talk about some other things. And I'm sorry we kind of hung up so long on this whole romance arc thing. I hope we didn't beat a dead horse yeah. too hard with that because uh, I do think it impacts the rest of the story yeah. in a pretty it's significant a way. It's what like we're it, talking about. It is page count. It's a lot of the book. That's a good point. That's a good point. Let's talk about Cal, Seer, and Grease a little yes. bit because I think. Like I said, this character kind of separated a little bit. And this is, funny enough, this is how it feels in the game, too, the first game. Like, because you pick up Marin so late in the game, and she, like, barely plays any part of the story. Um, is she even in the final sequence, actually? I, I don't know if she is. I don't remember. The whole the I whole Vader so. stuff? I don't, I don't think she's in that no, stuff at all, is not, she? No, she's not. It's just... Oh shit! Cal running for his life. That's right. Yeah, she marries on spoiler alert. She's she's not even in that. She's not even. She's just twiddling her thumbs on the on the ship, right? So yeah, weird story to us in the first first game. I stand Watch by the that. Plants grow. That's right. The plants were talked about so many freaking times in this book. By the way, <laughs> that just kept getting brought up. That it's was because so we spent so much time collecting them. 
God dang it. <laughs> uh, we're going to come back to that in a minute, too. All right, let's dive into Calcier and Grease because their stories develop in ways that really sort of challenge their relationships and their yeah. sort of beliefs about themselves and why they're even working together. Uh, Cal really grapples with his trust issues, especially when it comes to Fred. It turns out that that was uh, validated, by the way. Uh, yep. But he navigates in navigating his sort of role as a leader within the group. There's a lot of leadership self-questioning throughout the book. Um Seer, on the other hand, is driven by this desire to preserve and revive Jedi teachings, which is kind of new, in my opinion, as well. That wasn't really highlighted in the previous uh, stories. Uh, Grease mm. is portrayed as this character who is really loyal and caring, and that's showcased by his decision to you know, kind of dive in front of the bullet, if you will, with mm-hmm. when Seer was fighting the fifth brother and ultimately lost his arm in that process. And sure did. as this story unfolds, these characters face a lot of massive challenges and disagreements that ultimately sort of leads them to question their purpose, right? Their motives, even participating in this and that, um, you know, that, that tension is sort of partially resolved when they spend that 48 hours on the backwater planet, which was a cool story device, actually. I think I yeah. like that a lot. Um, but I think the underlying issues, they're still there. They're still lingering. Maybe even potentially hinting at future conflicts that we may see in the game itself. That's kind of interesting. So, you know, this is really the main crew from the first game. And since we don't even pick up Marin towards the <laughs> end, like their stories about trust and communication and teamwork and motivations like this is sort of emphasizing the complexity of the relationship but i guess my big question is like what are we supposed to take away from their sort of experience is this the thing that we're supposed to take into their into the next game is that they all have sort of motive questions like are they all more just are they in now like they're all in you know what i mean like what is the takeaway from you know this big story movement from calcier and grease I I think they might be laying some groundwork. I mentioned this earlier, but, uh, you know, middle chapters, if this ends up being a trilogy or what have you, they tend to be the dark chapters, right? People fall apart, right? The fellowship falls apart, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I think we might be going there, but that is absolutely not something that they could do off screen. So if that is to happen, it's going to happen in one of the games. Maybe this game, we'll see. But I think that what we were meant to take away from this a little bit is there are cracks in the glass. Because yeah. purpose is a, kind of a non-negotiable thing. Like if Seer truly believes, no, my purpose is to rebuild the Jedi Order. If, you know, Grease thinks, hey, I'm not willing to die for this thing. Like these are my friends, but I, it, I'm not going to, you know, die on this hill of trying to take out the Empire. Yeah. And that is all that Cal wants in this universe. I mean, that's going to come to a head. Uh, unless you're yep. going to tell me that somehow peacefully <laughs> two of the three are going to just say, yeah, forget what I think my purpose is. I'll just go along with this guy. Then I don't see how we don't ever come back to that story point. Yeah. I think that one scene where they're all in like the living area and Grease basically takes everyone to task and is like, hey, you thought we were doing this. What are you doing? You've abandoned everything. And like it's, it's a giant scene where they all kind of have yeah, it, it out. Frankly, I think that's the best written scene in the book for me. I think personally. so too. Actually. I think it's, it felt most like a, it's like a cut scene from the game, right? You get to the climactic yeah. point and they all have these mm-hmm. arguments. Charles, I love that phrasing you used as cracks in the glass because I think that's exactly it. Nothing shatters, nothing is irrevocable <clears throat> right now. But I think that in Survivor, there is absolutely going to be a scene like that. You know, we've seen in trailers yeah. that like Seer is at a temple or something at some point. Like maybe she went off and did something. But overall, I think when that part of the book was brought forward near the end and those scenes of dramatic tension and questioning of purpose happened, 
my brain was like, this is this is the book. Like th- this is this is that. I really yeah. like that. I think like a, a family fighting about why they're together and why they're a family is very Star Wars. You know, and I thought yeah. that was really huge, and it was very slightly, you know, touched on. Because again, I think you're absolutely right. The giant scene of that is going to come in Survivor. <laughs> we'll get that in the game, but I think this was kind of just that little appetizer of seeing that. And I think that you know, if we had touched a little more on that, would have been a better book. But blah blah blah, marketing can't put it all in the book. Got to put it in the game, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Which I think is a maybe a larger issue. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I think is sort of unspoken in this that I was very surprised that we didn't get, especially when, you know, there's the the scene where um, Cal and Seer are sort of having their private conversation mm-hmm. about, like, the future, and they sort of have a kind of a, a pretty heavy discussion about what their own motives were. The sort of unspoken thing in there is that Seer is sort of established that she wants to kind of rebuild the Jedi order is what it yeah, sounds fully. like a little bit. Yep. And, you know, I don't think, I think it's very interesting that it was unspoken that she didn't ask Cal to help her with that, which is very interesting to me Yes, because that feels like it could be a major plot point in the game. Her Padawan. Where, like, that's yeah, what like, now. like that's... where she pulls rank on him. Like you don't have your head in the game. You're not thinking about the right yep. motives. You're, you know, this is going to lead down the path to the dark side, trying to destroy the Empire. Like, why aren't you focused on the Jedi? Don't you want to rebuild what we had? And Cal's yep. like, the Jedi are dead. They're gone <laughs> because of us. You know, like, yeah, I can Let see it. I can die. see the scene. Kill it if you die. Yeah. I do feel yeah, like that, that significant master Padawan thing was not touched on at all in this book, which is very surprising to me. It's so absent that it yeah. feels like it was forbidden. A little bit, yeah. You know, it was like, like teased here and there. You saw where the scene was gonna go, and then it and it veered. You know, yeah, hard. It veered hard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It veered hard. Like it doesn't. It didn't. It seemed unnatural a little bit that they didn't talk about the Jedi really. So, yeah, I don't know. That, I could see. I agree. That I think it's all big, gonna be in the game. Point. I think that's it. That's very interesting. <clears throat> when, when those scenes inevitably happen in Survivor, I absolutely think because of reading this book, I'm gonna be like, oh, that's that scene. Yeah, Which is yeah, going to be very yeah. odd. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting seeing how we look back on this book after, you know, after yeah. playing, playing the game. game. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Which I already took right, the day off work in case anyone's worried. Well, yeah, well, I, uh, well, so much more context to like yeah, yeah. to make this all round out to be <clears throat> something that we might actually enjoy. Let's talk about some of the big meta stuff a little bit in our yes. last big section about kind of filling in the gaps between our characters a little bit. Let's talk about the the gigantic question that maybe we should have even opened this discussion with about the marketing initiative a little bit. Let's be super meta about this because the marketing initiative for Jedi battle scars, it positions itself as this bridge between the video game Jedi fallen order and the new game Jedi survivor, right? Mm -hmm. So by placing this book in this context, the aim is obviously just to attract fans and entice them with the promise of this richer understanding of the characters and the narrative we're going to see in the next, in the next game. And it offers a chance to sort of explore their development and the relationships they have with each other and that sort of thing to set the stage, if you will, for the next game. So how do you feel in general about the effectiveness of using a novel, a book to expand the story between two games? Does this work? Does this approach deepen your appreciation for the overall narrative and the characters? Or do you find it, 
less impactful in that this content was presented in a book rather than in the games itself. What are your overall feelings mm. about using a book to connect mm. to games? Theoretically, I love it. I've yet to see it done as well as I'd like. I think the closest it ever got in any games I ever played and books I ever read are the Halo books. Um, if anyone that's read the Halo, I mean, I read these in middle school. I know there's like a, a super quadrillion rich. of them now, but yeah. But like, there were books that followed Master Chief and his evolution back then. I thought that was done well, but also a lot of those were prequels. Um, I think in execution, a lot of times, as we've said many times throughout this roundtable, they feel handcuffed. They feel hindered. Like, they want to give something of value, but yet you can't give something of too much value because if your players that played your first game that made you, let's be real, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars more profit than a book will, if they're confused, then you're in trouble. Um, because, I mean, let's not even pretend what the sales numbers of this book versus the player numbers of Survivor are going to be. You know, That's probably 1%. I mean, exactly. if even that. And so I think it's like, it's like extra credit. And, and I think that does hurt all video like um mass effect andromeda i got the prequel book to that game didn't finish the book and i was like it didn't really get for me because i'm like i'd rather just be playing the game so i guess my 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 long-winded answer to your question is i like that idea as a book reader like we're all clearly book readers i love reading books haven't seen it yet i would love someone to crack that code um or someone to tell me some books that do it very well because i i'm just missing it so far yeah i I think one thing that was done fairly well um, or a story between two major video games um, is showing how one of the villains or the characters is pretty much unstoppable. Um, We've seen like the fifth brother or the third brother or, you know, the tenth brother, the brothers of (laughs) Sith. And they're numbered. Wizards. Mario. (laughs) They're brothers and they have numbers. Yeah. You see the quitter, the Inquisitors get, you know, they get beat pretty handedly, whether it be in animation, whether you can do it in the video game. But in this, in this book, in Battle Scars, the fifth brother was unstoppable. Dude rules. Yeah. Like he, Dude rules. he was, he was a super villain <laughs> yeah. and he could yeah. not be stopped. Yep. And even like he, he it was a, to a point where he, he was like an inch away from killing Cal. Yep. And he could have done it. He definitely could have done it. Um, and then. The whole the whole concept of, of Seer trying to turn into the light. Well, Cal, ha- Cal has, a, he out. has plot armor, and it's uh, it can't be pierced because he has to be alive yeah. for the next game. So exactly. Unless, that, unless the I, guy in the video game trailers is Cal, and he's just a clone. Cal, oh, Cal! Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, I did like you're that point Jared. to where when you start playing um, Jedi Survivor, you're like, damn. Fifth brother is going to be a task. Yeah, I need to. I need to prepare for him. So yeah. I'm glad they did. Boss they fight. put that in the book. Yeah. A lot of roll dodges yeah. when uh, fifth brother comes oh to town. God. Yeah, stem, stem, all the stems, right? Corey, how many oh, yeah. stems were in this book? I know so many damn stems. This is the next thing we're going to talk about. Uh, I do. I do have a loosely related, uh, funny thing to bring up or whatever is that um, because you brought up the fifth brother and in Grease losing his arm and everything. Why does everybody talk about? 
losing an arm in this book as if it's like the end of the freaking world when we have so many damn amputated limbs in Star Wars that just quickly get replaced by prosthetic limbs. Let's find Why? Frankly, they Let's work find better. Out, Corey, hold out your arm. It's not like you want you want it. You want to lose your arm like purposely. Like, hey, what's this circular saw do? Oh boy! <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Grease's arm in the trailer. I think like, gold and stuff. I'm like, yeah. No, but I think the real why question not? is why would the fifth brother cut his arm off and not behead him? He had a free well, swing. Well, Grease got in the way. Like he he didn't go for the arm. Grease jumped in, and his arm was. in I the I mean, way. still flailing. Yeah. Still, he's. We're talking about how what an unstoppable force he is. He cut off his arm, and then what happened? Like then. Yeah. Oh oh no, my sorry. That was that was a uh, more plot bad. armor. Yeah, I mean exactly exactly <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that and that gets back to what you were saying, Eric. It's like there's a Venn diagram of video game players, book readers, <laughs> and then there's us weirdos in the middle in both camps and you're going to alienate somebody you're going to alienate the book readers so that happened a little bit yeah that's true that's true i i think the bigger question to ask with this whole thing is do these marketing initiatives work in general and i think the pretty heavy bomb that i want to drop is that i don't think i ever want to see another one of these projects again (laughs) as terrible as that sounds never i'm tired of it i don't want to see yeah I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think they've done I, it well. I, I don't think I do. They've done multimedia well, though, I think, thus far in the High Republic, even if it is... Like what, with the Acolyte show or something? Well, we're like about? that, but even just with like the comics and the video game, like there's enough... No, no, no. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about like video we have a real life, a separate medium thing. So we have like Galaxy's Edge, the Battlefront stuff... Force Unleashed novels. We have this book, right? So we yeah. have games and parks, yeah. and I don't ever want to see any of these again. Yeah. Like, that being said, just, as meta as we get, barely work. This is the first Star Wars book in what six, ten months that debuted on the New York Times bestseller as number eleven. Like because of no. Cal Kestis and the, and the Jedi, like Jedi people. The money, the money talks. Unfortunately, yeah. we're going to yeah. keep getting these types of projects, but yep. they're always lukewarm to me, man. I either am, yeah. I either just don't love they're them, or I just barely like them. I felt the same way about the Galaxy's Edge books, and they feel they feel plastic. That is, <laughs> if that's a decent way to put it. No, I that's feel that. True. That's a good term. Yeah, yeah. They just feel plastic. I mean, they're forced. You know, it's they feel very corporate. It feels like, you know. Like a director had a great movie to tell, and Fox came in and messed it up. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. how it feels. It's like, and 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 antithetical is that the right word? Antithetical to George Lucas himself. <laughs> it's a heavy yeah. concept. Oh yeah, <laughs> who never wanted any capitalism in any of his yeah. movies? Hashtag I, toy rights. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Please leave your comments in the bottom of this yeah. YouTube video. Oh yeah, and yeah, Jared, exactly. yeah, great point. Uh, Force Unleashed novel did reach number one on the New York Times list. So that's like, right. Those I think they're trying to get gamers into Star Wars. Yeah, the novels. books are not that bad. The books are not bad. So let's talk about let's talk about that and why this particular book maybe wasn't good. And let's talk about this because this is a recurring critique that I saw online really everywhere. I saw this on Reddit, I saw this on Twitter, I saw this everywhere in YouTube, is that the book almost excessively incorporates video game elements, right? Characters frequently use stems, like multiple times, multiple characters all use stems to like seemingly replenish their health. And they had narrative sort of elements, like, ooh, I, I feel better now that I use that stem. Like that was like in BD there. was almost out <laughs> and, of stims at one point. It was like he was down yes, to his last yes. stim, and I could see my little bar on the bottom of the screen. Exactly, that said, oh, exactly, dude. <laughs> yeah, Cal, Cal is constantly upgrading his lightsaber. Yep. Like, 
Yeah. It's just and weird. He goes and meditates before yeah. he goes into a big battle. Well, and I think yeah, I think I need this, to make sure I meditate here in front of this in front of this door before the big battle. <laughs> I think this is a binary <laughs> chase thing too because I I think that this is either if it's not in people are gonna be like where's the video game nods where's the ponchos where's the I stuff I saw and if it there was is, a poncho I was scene. in there yeah. there was a poncho so, scene I was in there we all know and I think you gotta I think you have to and either it works or it doesn't there's no but you're right there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground for this kind of inclusion. <laughs> I disagree. I think there is a middle ground. Really? I think this book didn't didn't do it at all because I don't think. So here here's my thing, right? So I don't think a novel should feel obligated to sort of narratively explain or quote unquote justify a video game, right? The things that are clearly rooted in video game mechanics, like health and mana and force power and. You know, I don't think you should have to justify learning. That would have been new, amazing. Like, Cal felt his health go down to half. And <laughs> exactly. then <laughs> okay. press A to yeah. jump on this. He ledge. blinked red and he knew it was an unstoppable attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seer Seer shows him a new a new fight move and he's like, Wow, that's a great combo. It seems like that's almost a combo you could put by hitting X three times followed by a square. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it you don't have to justify that. So in my opinion, in, in my opinion, I, the game should inspire the story, but I don't think that the that the game has to be justified by the story. Like there was too much. Yeah. Right? Justifies a great too, word it's for too it. much. Yeah. It's too much. Like you can have you can have Cal use a stem one time, right? You can have you know you can have one lightsaber change in in a story because we don't we know that that's not realistic in in storytelling, right? We yeah. wouldn't dedicate screen time to this in a in a movie, right? Of him changing right. out his lightsaber a bunch of times. You wouldn't dedicate that to this. Well, I don't think it really works. So, yeah. you know. Have it, like, get ruined or have something. I, yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> mind a side plot of Cal being addicted to stems where he's just, like, shaking. He's just, like, I need another one. He's ejecting himself. <laughs> he's like, Cal, you got to stop. He's like, I can't Petey's do it, like, man. I'm out. I'm just going to have I'm more out. And Cal's like, Cal's like, I see the counter. You got two left in there, buddy. <laughs> Don't lie to me, BD1. Oh, man. Seer, I'll change like, your hand- paint color. <laughs> Seer handcuffs him to a bathtub in the middle of the book. Like, you know. I can't yeah. do it. I got to. You, know. you can't do the Jedi Order with me. I, th- I think. I think. Okay. A, a good analogy that I was thinking about when I was coming up with this, how I wanted to talk about this, would be like if in the Last of Us TV show, if. Every single time characters went into a new room, they had to open every single drawer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that's what you do in that game. You, you loot, have to loot yeah, man. literally yeah. everything. Like to the every single time excessive. they hit someone with something, it breaks in half and it's like, God I damn know. it, I gotta build another one. <laughs> exactly. It's it's like it's like stupid. Like to the point by the time you get to yeah. the end of the game, you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna skip this room. Yeah. <laughs> <Because> Joel, <laughs> just, Joel, build a shank, find some scissors, hurry, there's a clicker. Yes, all right. So that w- that wouldn't work in this yeah. expensive HBO TV show. I don't think it works in a book either. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> That's a great point. Last of Us does it very well. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, never mind. All right, let's talk about a, uh, let's let's round this out with a little more fun conversation. Yeah, and we'll dive into the Easter eggs and, and and finish up here. I want to talk about some of the uh, what are, what I would call the quote unquote sort of goofy plot points. These are not bad. They're not good. They're just a little well, goofy, <laughs> kitschy might be a good word. I want to talk about some of these things. Get your thoughts on them. Um, the first one I want to bring up is is lizard people. <laughs> and no, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. I am talking about <laughs> I'm talking about Irie. Irie, jump. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't go there. It was right there. See, it's easy. It's easy. I know. Yes. Um, 
uh, where am I going with this? Uh, and I'm hung up on lizard people. <laughs> lizard people and politicians. People are going to make lots of assumptions about my political beliefs because of what I just said, and none of those are true. <laughs> lizard people. Let's talk about let's talk about Nikto because I had to look up what a Nikto was because I was confused. I first thought that a Nikto was what Hondo was, right? Mm-hmm. But Hondo is Hondo is not a Nikto, right? Hondo is a uh, something else. The it's Nikto a weak we, quiz, we, isn't the only. It? Is yeah, a he's a Weequay. Yes, sir. yes. I thought Nikto was were Weequay in my head, but a yeah. Nikto we only Nikto. see him for a second. Is this? There's this guy, but the one that everyone would remember is the one from the Clone Wars, and he's that master that has this standoff with all of these droids that are coming. I'm in. a goon. Oh yeah, die. I'm gonna die. I'm a goon die. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm a goon yeah, die. Yeah. Exactly. Best West, name you should in Clone find Wars. That. You should. It's, it's the. Yeah. It's on the Wikipedia page for Nikto. It's. I had this linked earlier, but I actually deleted the link. But anyway, it's that guy. You'll recognize him. And <laughs> this is interesting to me. And the reason I want to bring it up with you, if Jared, I don't have the chat pulled up. If Jared is still in the in the chat, he'll yeah. appreciate this. Um, the legends side of Wikipedia heavily refers to Nikto as being reptilian and lizard-like with scales and. You know, it says everything mm. except for they can get their tails chopped off and then they grow back. I mean, they sound <laughs> like freaking Trandoshans and in yeah. legends. Yeah. The canon page for Wikipedia doesn't say shit about any of that. It doesn't say any of that. <laughs> like, there's no reptilian, there's no scales, there's no nothing. So, like, it's a little weird. And the narration uh, kind of makes Irie sound a little bit. Trandoshan, I think, early on. Mm-hmm. A little bit they're kind of, she's kinda of hissy and stuff. And I was like, what the hell is happening? This is not a Nikto. And it was very confusing for me that I got kind of hung up on it. So the goofy choice to me is that that's the alien that they chose to go with. Like mm-hmm. I kind of maybe they should have picked a little more well known type of alien. Well <laughs> like well, if, fair. If for you Star Wars yeah. resistance fans, Niku. Niku the yeah. Nikto. Niku. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Corey, that I did find myself taken aback. I was like, it feels like we are talking about a Trandoshan. But they did also explain at one point that Irie is a Kadasa Nikto, which are the green Nikto. So they're like subsets of Nikto. Yeah, and uh-huh. so that kind of helps to explain it a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, That's fair. I can see that. It was weird to me. It kept hanging me up. Me and, we, me and Charles talked about this, like via DM. We're like, "What are this? What are these lizards? Who are the, li- who are the lizards? How <laughs> is a lizard? <laughs> how, how is a lizard? Yeah. All right. Next funny point that this totally took me out. There was a blaster bolt that bounced off Marin's golden teeth necklace that she was wearing. A full on. She took a blaster bolt to the chest, yep. and it bounced <laughs> off a small golden tooth around her neck. And that totally reminded me of the, uh, the infamous like may Luron oh, scene yeah. from rebels, oh, yeah. Where they just held which is holding it, which I hate. Classic. I hate Classic. that. That is like, that is, that is one of the things that represent to me. Like when I think about how bad the first season of rebels was to me, I know that's a hot take opinion that I have, but Oof. how bad the first season of rebels was. I always think of the may Luron scene. It was so freaking stupid that he Very just silly. blocked a blaster bolt with a watermelon it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and this was, this was equally as stupid to me. I was like, she took a bullet to the chest and it bounced yep. off a golden ah. necklace. Get and out. I want that may Luron juice, which is only in Disneyland. It's so good. <laughs> All right, no, there you go, Wes. He's got the middle on. Look at his face; it's stupid. He's equally as surprised as we <laughs> are so as the silly. viewer. All right, the uh, the other, another funny, goofy thing that I I thought was a little ridiculous is Marin visits a spa when they all go their separate ways. I'm like, really? That's where a a darkness 
witch of the night goes to relax is a spa. Like we had to have this romantic hot tub scene. That was weird, dude. That was totally, totally take took me out. <laughs> yeah, we got a hot tub in it. I the only way I, I made it work was like, oh, fire! Dathomir's hot. I mean, That's if you I if you grew up on Dathomir, you'd probably want to go to a spa too. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, this is actually nice. That's fair. That's fair. That was funny. Uh, Kyrus having a jetpack that literally came out of no. nowhere. We also talked about we all, me and Charles will talk about that. That was, that was so rough. random. That was, that was completely it felt, that was random. It felt very mustache twirling, feeling like mahaha. I was wearing a jetpack the whole time. <laughs> I, like exactly. I just all I wanted was Cal to be like, since when has he had a jetpack? Like literally, if someone had had commented on it in the story, I would have. I would have accepted it, but everyone just took it yeah, perfectly in stride. Like, oh, there he goes no. on his jetpack that we all know he's had this whole time. Not ah, Karis, classic jetpack wearer. I know. Yeah. Uh, another goofy thing I noticed is in the in the last like third of the book, the word "atmo" is used like to describe atmosphere like ten times. Like they, they I totally noticed it, too. dude. They say overused. they say at yeah. multiple characters all say the word "atmo," and like that's not. I've never heard that before. Have you, you ever heard that? Is that a Star Wars? I've heard term? it. I've heard it before. With? It's not a really? Star Wars term. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, sci-fi in general. But it was. Is it? It was just yeah. an, interesting. It's like when you say a word so many times it loses meaning. <clears throat> yep. It just yeah, kind of uh-huh. stuck out at a certain point. It's like uh, what's the word that Timothy Zahn overuses so many times? Perhaps, like freaking, perhaps. Did somebody counted. You remember that? that was that's one of my favorite moments I in do. Living Force history. Is many, many. Somebody, <laughs> somebody used somebody even... used Control F in the in the Kindle during the show to look for how many times <laughs> God, the word perhaps was the in the Thrawn book, and it was like a hundred and eighty-seven <laughs> yeah, or something perhaps. freaking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I know exactly. Well, Fantastic. What about the? Did they try yeah. the? I bet the was in there a lot. Okay, oh, come on. okay. Come on, come on. Don't be that guy. Uh, okay, so speaking of the jetpack thing, in the same scene, the elevators just keep bringing up those bad guys that Marin is just like casually blowing to hell in the background, yep. right? She's just, like, there's no details about her combat at all. It's just, they're just having a conversation, like, Yep, and Cal and whoever. Reckon. And she's just killing all these people that keep coming in the elevators. And it's referenced in the scene. Like, they keep hearing the ding of the elevators. Like, oh, no, I guess more guys yeah. are coming up here to kill us. Like, just disable the fucking elevators. Yeah. Well, like, and in Star Wars, <laughs> it's canonical. Why did why did they not just disable the elevators? Like, they well, just kept waiting for people to come because up. Because if, like, well, if they shot the panel, it would have stopped it yeah. working. But then the people at the bottom of the elevator shaft could shoot their panel. It would start working because that's how things that's work. That's the greatest thing about Star Wars. If you shoot a panel, it does whatever you need it to do. They would just keep shooting their individual panel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was so funny to me, man. That was funny. Stupid elevators. That was funny. Stupid elevators. I was seeing this is another video game thing. It's like this is a this is a mini boss, but like during the mini boss fight, like more enemies keep spawning. Yep. Like you know how that always yeah. happens. The boss is like yep. summoning more gaming. villains. Yeah. You have to kill all the minis while you're yep. fighting the boss. That's what also was happening. It was so dumb. <laughs> anyway, yeah. All right. Okay. The tracking device in Irie's body was the most dusek. Uh, how do you say that? Do Dex Machina? Deus Ex Machina. Deus. That's it. Yep. Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah. That's like when a completely illogical plot point has to exist to move the story forward. That was so goofy to me that everybody was just like, "Oh, we should have scanned her better. She had a yeah. tracking device in her." I was just like, "Okay, that's <laughs> that was that was Could've a, a key plot pages. point of the Phantom Menace that like if if they leave the base you get blown up. Remember yep. that's like the whole thing. Like I th- I'm pretty sure that she knows that she has a tracking device in her and 
anyway, that was pretty goofy. All right, two small things. Um, there were a lot of conversations, really long-winded conversations that happened during really, really intense combat that I found a little bit goofy to me. Um, the the most obvious one, I think, was when Marin and Cal were fighting the fifth brother, and Marin like, summoned like a ring of flames around him that he yeah. couldn't get in. They had this whole conversation <laughs> about <laughs> so the Inquisitor right in front of him for like seemingly 10 minutes like it seemed <laughs> so long like, it felt like D combat rules for time passing like you know like every yeah. turn is supposed to be like six seconds or some yep. shit like it was just completely unnatural in the meantime this guy's in the background just like oh i can't get in oh. well, and also like... if you got him on the ropes like that like hey go go stick your lightsaber in that pillar of fire and just see what happens like maybe you'll <laughs> kill him i know dude. can't kill him that'd be wrong but we can hack at him a bunch yeah yeah all right, that's all I got for the goofy things that I wanted to bring up. Um, let's talk about Easter eggs real fast. What kind of yes. thoughts? Charles, Charles, I want to turn killer. these over to you, man, for this last, uh, you know, you put all the Easter eggs together. I pulled some, and they were really bad, and Charles <laughs> is like, hey, here's a complete document with all of these freaking Easter eggs well, that I've documented all the whole thing. My so. car, I had to take to the shop today, so I was just sitting there with people <laughs> looking over my shoulder, me on Wikipedia. I was just like, yep. Uh, this is what I do. So, yeah, I'll, tr- I'll try to go through them. A lot of them, obviously, are references to stuff from Jedi Fallen Order. So I might skip over a bunch of those because, you know, we know it's referencing itself, basically. But, anyways, these are also all Kindle pages, so they're approximate because I'm downsizing my library and you'll all live. So, anyways. It's disgusting. Page 8, <laughs> the Bespin Fizz is mentioned. That's one of the actual drinks you can order at Oga's Cantina mm-hmm. at Galaxy's Edge. They've been doing that a Pretty lot good. recently, right? That might be the one that I got actually. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah, you did it. Is, it, is it. is it is it is it like a it's like a gin and tonic, isn't it? I don't know I what it is. it is, but it it has uh, it has smoke in it, right? Because of Bespin, because it's in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah, I remember when they especially good at nine nine oh, a.m. Okay, yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you got those reservations? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so same page. Page eight, Blurgstain was used, which I think is a new insult. I don't ever really recall Blurgstein. hearing that before. Blurgstain. Yeah. Blurg. Oh, that's like shit stain. Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. Which, of course, yes, we all know exactly Blurgs, but Blurgstain. We all do. So page 10, a burra fish is mentioned, and that's another reference to Galaxy's Edge where oven-roasted burra fish can be ordered at Docking Bay 7. Um, but this nice, fish nice. has actually been in Star Wars since 1994 when it was uh, created for the courtship of Princess Leia. But it was later brought wow. to canon by Christy Golden in 2015 in Dark Disciple when Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress had burra fish stew on Dathomir. So a nice kind of tie, tie back. <clears throat> you want to talk about awesome. the hot steamy romance. Whew, that one is exactly, hella good. Yeah. Hella it's because... Good. A whole lot of nothing happens. That's why it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Corey likes it. Well, That's right. on page All 20, tension. we have this quote. <laughs> and on the other side of the bar, gleaming <laughs> like the carking sun in this forsaken place, a legion of bright, white, shiny stormtroopers just standing there. Like they were having a nice little chat. One of them was drinking, doing so through a little induction port in the front of their helmet, just sucking away on a little straw. Um, <laughs> this is the way. I don't. I was gonna ask. Yeah, like, have we ever seen an induction port on? No, there's not one on my. So you know what that is? I'm gonna go further on that Easter egg. 
Because Sam Mag wrote for Bioware in Mass Effect, Tally Zora uh, is a Quarian crew member who wears a mask all the time, and she gets drunk at a party in Mass Effect Three, and she's sipping on a straw and. Your character says, Tally, you're drinking through a straw. And she says, no, it's a thermal induction port. Nice. That is a that is many layers wow, in to Sam Mags' like gaming history. I'm shocked. You just, like, pulled that out of your ass just then. I played a lot of Mass Effect. <laughs> Speaking of ass, do they have an induction port back there so they don't take their armor off? <laughs> no, it's like a flap, like in the TJ's. Where else can you stick yeah, a straw? Just, Oh, Lord. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Page 22, a Bantha Blaster is mentioned, yet another alcoholic beverage. This is one that you cannot get at Galaxy's Edge, as far as I know, but it was available on Jabba the Hutt's sail barge, where, according Mm. to the Return of the Jedi Jr. novelization, R2-D2 was serving them while he was briefly forced into Jabba's service. So it's one of the many things he was carrying around. Very nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bantha Blaster sounds like a Star Wars name for, like, a wedgie that you give your younger brother. A Bantha Blaster! Uh, it absolutely does. Uh, 100% does. On page 25, a rabid Dianoga is referenced. Uh, the the yep. Dianoga, of course, the monster in the trash compactor from A New Hope that lovingly takes Luke for a dip. But this is also an uh, implication that rabies exists in a galaxy far, far away. So that's great. Oh, oh yeah. sure. That's bad. Yeah. That's a good point. Not good. Don't love that. Sure. On page 29, Curidactyls are mentioned. They're also called Dathomirian bats. And though you may assume they uh, were established in the Clone Wars or perhaps long ago in Legends, no, they were created for Fallen Order. So <clears throat> they were brought back here. Same goes for Ogdo Bogdo. That was one of the enemies you could fight oh, in God. the game. The worst. On page 31, we get a nice in-universe in reference from T1LD4. Uh, who was a bounty hunter droid who said very boring samey outfits who <laughs> was seemingly <laughs> making fun of Calcastus's clothing because he only wears ponchos right? yeah, for now that's a good point for now next game man i liked that in game reference i did like that um, Mother Talzin gets a shout out. Rest in peace, my queen. Uh, Ilum is mentioned on page 39, right, where the Jedi yep. younglings go for their kyber crystals for the gathering. Um, Jaro Tapal gets a shout out, who's Cal Kestis's master. Yep. He yep. actually, actually, this was his second appearance in a book after he got uh, featured in Mike Chen's Brotherhood. Uh, just very That's recently right. for a That's quick right. scene. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yep. Yep. Um, the Kashiri species that uh, you brought up earlier, uh, Corey, that is Fred's species on page 47 is the first time that I yep. believe they mentioned the species. And it's the first canon appearance of these aliens, but they were created by John Jackson Miller for the Lost Tribe of the Sith series. And then they did later return in the Fate of the Jedi series as well. But wow. now they're canon. Nice. On page 47 as well, the sofas. Are they reptiles, though? Oh, they have dusky lilac throats. Are they lizard people? They have dusky lilac throats, that's it. On page 47, the sofas on the Stinger Mantis are said to be patoli weave, implying they're made from the fur of patoli, which are mammals native to Naboo. And interestingly, their fur was also Mm. used for a gown of Padme Amidala in Queen's Peril. Mm. Very nice. It sounds like Star Wars Italian food. Patoli. 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 
Sorry to all our Italian listeners. I will not do that again. All right. On page 77, Amwadi, uh, the species Amwadi is featured. That's what Karis Lar is. And it's basically a big bird-like creature that first appeared in 1994's <laughs> Jedi Search by Kevin J. Anderson. But they were brought to canon by Chuck Wendig in 2016's Aftermath Life Debt. And this is only the second canon appearance that, uh, that we've had for them. Nice. Sick. Uh, page 79, Karis, the Amwadi, says, I was once a member of the Alderanian government. I fled once I realized that Republic Senator Bail Organa was all too willing to become Imperial Senator Bail Organa. The royal family was mm. never going to take a strong enough stand. Shut your oh, mouth. Karis. Oh, Dude, Karis. Oh, This guy sucks. I know. This I guy know. sucked. I intentionally did not bring him up, and I didn't even want to talk about him. Yeah, sick. he was not. So shitty. Straight up sucks. Secret jetpacks and all that. Yeah. Um, page 79, Mirkanite is mentioned as the ore that is needed to make the shroud operational. And Mirkanite is a valuable ore that was actually first created in 2006 for Ubisoft's PlayStation Portable and Nintendo DS game, Star Wars Lethal Alliance. And it was Holy said shit. to be mined well, on Mustafar, but this book implies there's actually a bunch of different mines in various places through the galaxy. Um, and it was brought to canon already by Alex Segura for Poe Dameron Freefall when it was mentioned by Zori Bliss. So that's cool. There it is. Wow. Um, page go 81, <clears throat> Edu is mentioned. That's the same planet in Rogue oh, yeah. One where mm-hmm. we see Galen Urso meet his maker. It's a, a cool planet. Uh, meet the maker, so I guess sad. you could say. Um, For Edu. Mm-hmm. On 82, Mercana, the planet is mentioned that first appeared in James Lucino's Tarkin in 2014. But before that, it was in Lucino's 2005 uh, Dark Lord Rise of Darth Vader. So thanks, <laughs> Lucino. Um, on 82, the Circlet of Serish, a Jedi artifact, is featured. And, Corey, you mentioned this earlier. That, that mm-hmm. dates back to the KOTOR video game. It was originally worn by a Jedi Knight, Gunhan Serish, and boosted one's ability to use the Force. But <clears throat> if you wore it in the game, it just gave you plus five wisdom. So perhaps someone on board the Stinger Mantis <laughs> should have worn <laughs> it. And gotten Could plus Marin. Marin, she's been wearing that shit the know, whole time. Right? Come on now. Could have found out Fred was, a whole lot faster if you just put on the Listen, circuit. I will say, I will say when Seer gave away her prized instrument, I was pissed for the, the Alex set. Like I was yeah. Yeah. That made me mad, dude. It made me mad. Like Good one. Yeah. Giving away your instrument for this dumb little thing? I don't know. That was goofy. Well, that's a whole... The explanation, too, was was strange. That's a whole reference in itself, because the Halleck set was what you could play, right, as Cal in Jedi Fallen Order. Um, yeah. And that was yeah. actually what Sabe was well-known for playing. That's what she played for the Theed Conservatory, and her whole family yeah, was yeah. Halleck set players, <clears throat> so it was kind of cool. Um Page 92, Spiced Arisa, which is a food, was mentioned. And this basically looks like a big donut hole. And if you look closely, a couple of them are actually on Shmi Skywalker's kitchen counter in The Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. But they're, they're not no, named. That's awesome. They're not named as Arisa until the Episode 1 Visual Dictionary. But interestingly, wow. they're also listed as a menu item in the diner where Din Djarin and uh, Boba Fett meet up with Bo-Katan and the crew that she has in season wow. two of The Mandalorian. It's up on... It's up on the diner awesome. Freaking, yeah. I, I love cool. Star Wars lore, dude. Yeah. Like this it's is I love stuff like this is so cool. Those visual dictionaries just really add so much value to canon. Like yeah, I yeah, love stupid little explanation for a small box that was on this one character's belt in the background. I just freaking love that stuff so much. Yeah. It's good. It's good. <clears throat> 
Um, only a couple more. Page 135, Chandar's Folly, which is a planet, is mentioned, and that's where Tarkin kind of infamously hunted Darth Vader in that 2017 comic series. It's also where um, Circus was in the High Republic, I think, that we, we visit mm-hmm. briefly. Um, that was in Light of the Jedi. On page 178, the High Republic gets a shout-out. I mean, it's, it's just the era itself was shouted out, but it's nice to see it continue to get kind of enmeshed throughout the, the canon <clears throat> timeline. Yeah. Um, page 182, Starfire Ski is mentioned, which is yet another alcoholic beverage. And this one <laughs> w- is actually served at the Outlander Club and appeared in the background of um, Attack of the Clones. And it's the tall blue tube right next to the more heavily referenced alcoholic beverage, Port in a Storm. So it's back there, nice. too. Oh, Port in a Storm. Yes. I love the Outlander Club. The Outlander That's Club just such a, one of my favorite Absolutely. Such a great thing. <laughs> and then last one I have here on page 240, the Bespin bars are mentioned, which are their full name is Blue Bespin Breakfast Bars. Say that five times fast. Well done. And well done. Nice, nice. They were actually, uh, this is their second canon appearance as well. They were first in the junior novel Pirates Price <clears throat> by Lou Anders or Anders. I'm not sure. I watch too much Workaholics, so I want to say Anders. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's when Hondo found a bunch of them aboard the Falcon, basically. Uh, was their first <laughs> reference. So not too many deep cuts, you know, a lot of food and drink references, a lot of kind of references, of course, to the video game that preceded this, but still some really good stuff in there. Um, and I still want to know if I miss your favorite Easter egg and you're watching this, then please leave it down in the comments because I always like to hear what other people find. I cannot <laughs> possibly find them all. But yeah. mostly. For sure. For sure. Well, fellas, as we sort of wrap up here, first of all, thank you, Charles. That was fantastic. That was a much better job than I did. So great work there, man. I appreciate well, it always. Well, props to you for your first um, roundtable. Can I say that before yeah, we close? Thank you, right by that? Thank you very much. Well done, actually very, I appreciate very it. Yes. Thank you. I well we went a little long, but, you know, it's fun talking about hey, books. These and, used to be three or four hours long yeah. with two parts. Yeah. That, that's great. true. That's true. Well, let's sort of round out our discussion here with um, – you know, I hope that I think I want to say is I hope that everybody felt like we were respectful of the story. I, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's I think this is the first book in five years of Utini, three years of Living Force that all four of us were pretty in the negative camp about a book. And I hope that we were professional enough, for everybody, um, and we weren't insulting or disrespectful. You know, this is how you're supposed to. It's OK to have criticism, right? Yeah. You don't have to be a you don't have to be. You know, we believe in being positive and trying to find things you enjoy. And I think there is things that I enjoyed about this book, and we're going to talk about those briefly. But, um, you know, I uh, I hope that you're able to view projects like this. It is much harder to try to like something than it is to just hate it, right? So I, I hope that everybody felt like we handled this appropriately. Um, you know, as we sort of round this up, fellas, I want to ask you – what is the positive takeaway that you took away from this this experience? Um, what is the thing maybe that, you know, we always say that our discussion generally makes us like the book better. I don't know if that happened this time. I mean, I want to hear your thoughts about that. And is if there's something that the book that you took away from this maybe discussion that kind of helps explain something a little better for you or you can take away. And the, the thing that I will say is I feel differently about Irie as a character after talking about this with you guys. Like, I was a pretty unhappy, I guess, with that sort of love triangle thing. And I think I see the value in that and maybe how that could develop Marin as a character a little bit more now. So I do feel more positively, at least about that point. And uh, I do like your thoughts about sort of how 
Kelsier and Grease's, you know, character arcs is maybe leading to, you know, Charles, what you said about the, the, the breaking glass, the cracking glass of what you said. Yeah. That's a fantastic analogy. So what about you guys? Anything positive that we can take away from this, ex- this experience? Do you feel better about the book now? We've talked about it. I'll say, I don't necessarily, I think I feel the same with the book as a whole, but I <clears> more so excited about what I was excited about initially, which is exactly what you said. I think that seeing the crew from that, big breaking scene where they all talk about their motives going forward i'm even more excited now after revisiting that with you guys to uh see it in survivor i really want to see where that Mm -hmm. part specifically goes and i think that's going to be exciting to see and i mean i ended the book reading being very excited about the game and i think that stuff that didn't work for me it still didn't and i'm I'm perfectly happy just kind of leaving that behind and taking this part with me to the game in a couple weeks and i think it's no well, actually, it is complete coincidence that we happen to have this roundtable the day where a bunch of folks that we know uh, who got to play Survivor actually dropped a lot of gameplay. Um, so like, yeah. it's been a very good day to think about Jedi Survivor, <laughs> and I am more excited for that project after today than I have been the entire time. Yeah. That's yeah a, that was, that that's was a good point, point about bringing up um, Seer and Cal and Grease and kind of their – basically their, their quarrels as a family, like every – I know every family has disagreements, and we actually get to see that hashed out. Do we get to see it hashed out in the game? That's kind of it's well, you may, you may or may not know if you watch yeah. them play. Yeah, out. right. And um, and and really, the the major plot point of this book uh, of the shroud does that does that come into the gameplay? Does it actually get developed? That Is it thing, because yeah. Irie has a specific talent, specific skill, where she's the only one that can put an idea to paper mm-hmm. to device? So. I'm excited to see that actually play out. So um, us talking about it kind of helped me follow that path to where <clears throat> this book was a great jumping point into the game. Now, as long as they hash out a lot of those plot points, then, I mean, I think the book does a great job for that. Yeah. I think we learned that kind of along each step of all of these projects. We've said similar things with the High Republic with Phase 2. It's really hard to judge these things without knowing the end of the story. And maybe we'll go back and think this is actually a lot right. better than than we thought. I don't think this conversation changed the way that I feel about the book. I I think this is probably the strongest that I've ever felt like, Hey, this thing is not for me, but it's exactly that it's maybe it's just not for me. And this conversation did help me to kind of put it into a better framework, you know, and to really just step back and be like, some people really love this thing. Keep loving Mm -hmm. this thing. Go enjoy this thing. Reread it. It can be your favorite book. That's fine. Um, it, it wasn't for me. And rather than just, you know, drag it out and say, Hey, this isn't star Wars because this, and you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it wasn't for me. And Sam Mag's ruined my childhood. Yeah, I mean, come on guys. <laughs> yeah. it, it just, it yeah. just wasn't for you. And next week we're going to, we're going to talk about something that maybe is for us or, or for me and excites us a whole lot. And I'm looking forward to that, but I think it's just a good reminder to kind of try to have that healthier mindset and it'll make the fandom just a little bit more of a, a better place. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. it. Um, great way to put it. Try to stay positive and you'll be happier for it for sure. Well, that's all for me guys. Eric, I'll turn it over to you and let us, uh, hand this thing off. It's been fun. Thanks for letting me read yeah. this, or, uh, develop this round table. I admittedly had been dreading it for weeks and weeks, and uh, we got Kill through it. it. But I like this. I like this format. Charles, thanks for coming in clutch with those Easter eggs, man. You absolutely killed it, man. So excited that you got this. And 
a little teaser for everyone. Uh, of course, because um, we have our new book tomorrow, The Higher Public Cataclysm. <clears throat> it looks like four weeks from tonight, as we usually do. Uh, it's Return of the King, everybody. Charles is doing another roundtable for Cataclysm. Charles, as a reminder, you're doing Cataclysm. Um, so, of course, we'll be back next week talking all the reveals from Star Wars Celebration London slash Star Wars Celebration Europe. I still don't know what the official title is. I think it's just Europe. But we will be back then. I Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but we'll see you next Monday night. Again, to everyone who tunes in, thank you. To everyone who's voted in Bracket Madness, we'll have a winner next week as well. But for now, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much for everything you do. A special thank you to Brian Dooley, Earl Q, Carl Sander, and Zach W. on our Jedi High Council, and James T., Ashley Ingalls, and Chris Carrizo on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson, Charles Zetsi Hankel, Corey Zet, Corey M. Helton, Wes is at Boss Wes. And a special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for piling with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for watching and listening. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you, always.